When you are looking for ways to stand out amongst the competition, custom-branded merchandise is a great investment for your brand. If you need custom t-shirts, hoodies, polos, hats, or other items, then you need to call The Merch Man. The Merch Man specializes in custom items for businesses, bands, artists, brands, and more. The Merch Man offers screen print, direct-to-garment, and embroidery for small orders or big bulk orders. We also offer online store setup and a complete fulfillment center with the best profit margin in the industry. For qualifying applicants, call The Merch Man today at 304-362-2131. That's 304-362-2131. Custom merch fast and at its finest. There's something on the radio you should hear. Can I turn on the radio? Okay, where are you? I'm on the radio. How did you get on the radio? It's pure talent. They got some pure talent. Do you think he's got that kind of talent? Well, someone did. Who is that? This guy. You can be on the radio. And just like that. History is made. Okay, now it's ready. Just ready. Two. Come on, you now. Show music. Yo, showtime. Showtime. your host, Brian Reznor. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Brian Reznor experiment, my experiment that I share with you. I am Brian Reznor, and today we've got an awesome show. Alex Ansel is here, and he is going to be talking about his life in Las Vegas and what he does on a day-to-day basis. Plus, he had a pretty interesting tour with a pretty interesting 80s slash 90s pro wrestler that we're going to talk about as well which led to a lot of interesting things, to say the absolute least. Also, later on the show, we are going into a huge debate. This is going to be the longest episode ever, so I'm hoping that you're going to stick with me the entire time. But at the end of the show, we are definitely going to debate. I have got a great panel, and we are talking my body, my choice. And that goes for vaccine mandates, mask mandates, and abortion. We're going to talk about it all and try to solve all the world's problems. Make sure that you check us out on Facebook. Make sure to join the focus group of Res that is also on Facebook. And you can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. You can even find us soon on YouTube. And there will be more about that in the future. But right now, it is time for late news breaking. Coming up next, right here on the Brian Resner Experiment. Your systems are offline. The Brian Reznor Experiment on Superior Radio Network. Not from the same people who brought you artificial plant-based meats comes the Impossible Carrot. If you've got kids who don't like vegetables, try the Impossible Carrot. Made with pig snouts, chicken beaks, cowlips, turkey gizzards, and orange dye number 79. It's real meat, sort of, disguised as a carrot, guaranteed to satisfy your little urchin who refuses to eat his vegetables. The Impossible Carrot. More meat! Yep, we're really messing with your taste buds now. Have you been charged with HWI, horsing while intoxicated? If you're thinking of going with another horse lawyer, I say nay. They may call you and say, hey, we want to be your lawyer. But we say saddle up and go with the stable horse lawyers at Maine and Tail Law Firm. Don't wait past your time to call and get us to defend you. This is not a spur of the moment thing. Hold your horses and talk to the real HWI lawyers. Don't hitch your wagon to the wrong horse. Talk to us at Maine and Tail Law Firm. Late news breaking. In entertainment news. 
Cardi B gave birth to her second child. The miracle of life is truly astonishing. It's amazing what you can create with some wet-ass pussy. Today's show veteran weather person Willard Scott has died at the age of 87. His fans are saddened to hear that he died so young. Kanye West admitted he cheated on Kim Kardashian. Kim is absolutely devastated that he didn't reveal this when they still had a show. It would have been great TV. According to a new poll, the best thing about the 90s was the TV show Friends. Apparently, they only polled four people. Lisa Kudrow, Matt Perry, David Swimmer, and Matt LeBlanc. I'm sure Courtney Cox and Jennifer Anderson remember it too, though. Dog the Bounty Hunter is officially married. It was a shotgun wedding. Literally, he married a, a shotgun. Fans of Harry Styles will have to show proof of vaccination to see him in concert now. Vaccination or not, they have already lost their sense of taste in music. The car that Tupac Shakur was fatally shot in is for sale. I wonder if 25 years from now, someone will be like, yo, I'm selling that car that Drake was in when he sent that nasty tweet to Kanye. In sports, a pair of Michael Jordan's used underwear is up for auction. If you're interested in bidding on it, then I totally think you want to have sex with Michael Jordan. San Francisco Giants concession workers who haven't gotten a raise in three years are voting on whether to strike. Ironically, these stadium vendors truly have been working for peanuts. 93% of NFL athletes are vaccinated. The remaining 7% play for the Detroit Lions and prefer the sweet release of death. The tennis world is captivated by U.S. Open star Emma Raducanu, or as Matt Gates and R. Kelly call her, over the hill. A nude soccer team from Germany recently played its first game, but the action had to be stopped a few minutes in when a fully clothed fan ran onto the field. Kyle Busch was recently fined $50,000 for reckless driving at Darlington Raceway. Question is, does NASCAR realize how much it could make in fines off of Tiger Woods? Last week, America celebrated National Beer Lovers Day. Bill Clinton and Donald Trump aren't beer lovers, so they did not participate. They make sure to avoid any kind of draft. Cats are experiencing life-threatening levels of stress due to their owners staying home more because of the pandemic. Read more about this in the Journal of Feel-Good News for Dogs. A Virginia court ruled that a Robert E. Lee statue can finally come down. So now you're prepared for what your Uncle Larry's going to be angry about at Thanksgiving. And finally, the Supreme Court will hold its first in-person session since the start of the pandemic. Brett Kavanaugh has already been reminded to wait for recess before boofing any beers or pulling out his penis. This is a circus. Yes, we drank beer. I liked beer. Still like beer. And I like beer. Yeah, we drank beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. Sometimes too many beers. Yes, we like beer. We like beer. Judge Kavanaugh, thank you very much. Hearing adjourned. This is breaking news. And a highly anticipated miniseries impeachment about President Clinton's sex scandal with Monica Lewinsky. Mr. President, do you know a woman named Monica Lewinsky? Yeah, we actually did it. If I've got the math right, more than 100,000 positions, repetitive, 
mindless. If this isn't good for my heart, I don't know what is. <laughs> Impeachment. She wanted to bend over backwards. Oh, that looks good. This has been breaking news. Attention listener. Summer is not over until September 22nd. So sit your happy Halloween pumpkin spice butt down until I finish blowing the lawn with my shirt off. Thank you. Okay, what happens if we mix Guns N' Roses and Stevie Wonder? Another McClintock masterpiece. Mashup Machine.
back here on the Brian Reznor Experiment. I am Brian Reznor. I'm here with Nick Ledford. Nick, this is a whole new week, whole new stuff going on. How is Detroit, Michigan? <laughs> whole new stuff? Uh, no. Uh, I'll tell you what's not new is the NFL and the losing Lions. Got oh, yeah. Today. Yeah. You guys get smashed all the time, though, right? It's just a... Oh, yeah. The Ford family doesn't give a fuck about the... Uh, the lines they just hire whoever and then they get all the money <laughs> you know what i mean right. it's sad it's sad yeah i don't um, even know anything about football or even watch it or pay attention or care but i do know that the detroit lions suck and i'm not even a fan it's like even even when you're not a fan you you can know that uh that the team is is terrible no it, it's hard man and you you look forward to football season you're like hell yeah let's get started man i was out of that game by the second quarter man i wasn't having it anymore they were getting smashed and you just start getting sad and it's sunday and you're thinking man i could be doing anything else but watching this team lose that i think is going to win one day but it never happens <laughs> mm. you know as much as i would like to talk about football for just fucking hours i would mm-hmm. like to bring up something crazy that happened to me this week if it's okay with you did steve from blues clues send you a personalized video talking about how he still thinks about you he did and it just changed Dude, it changed my life he's getting me one and i cried <laughs> Yeah, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm actually talking about something very, very serious. So in Florida, there was a situation where some kids were planning a Columbine-style shooting Oh God! at a school locally here, and it was the school that my mm. daughter attends. No, man. It, what? It, it's a real thing. This is a real thing. It happened oh. at, uh, at a school here in Florida. There were three kids involved. One of the kids told on the other two kids. Then they got the police involved who, uh, they, well, they, I think they searched the classroom that day and found nothing. And then, mm-hmm. then when they went and searched the kids' houses, they ended up finding uh, plans that had the entire school with the the cameras marked and the blind spots marked. And they had been looking up videos and researching on the Columbine shootings and stuff. The police, but the police here came in like heroes, man. They, they Mm -hmm. took it completely serious from the gate and completely stopped a, a possible school shooting right here. And when, when that happens, When you're thinking that is awesome, but man, it's terrifying thinking that what if they wouldn't have, you know, how many, how many police forces in the country are not as awesome as the police force here to jump on something like that immediately. There's uh, that when you think about your kid being in that situation, it gives you a feeling that you never have. It's, I mean, it's because you're helpless. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't having kids myself. I don't even want to think about it, man. In the school that my oldest one goes to is uh, literally two blocks away from my house, and still, I just—it's always in the back of your mind. That's it's the way this the school is. This school is literally—I could walk to this school right now. It's, yeah. it's so close. But now I'm—I'm I'm so concerned about my daughter being at this school, knowing that if somebody would have just done their job shitty, which people do their job shitty every single day in every single profession, if somebody was doing their job shitty, something terrible could have happened right there in my backyard with my daughter involved. It's, uh, 
it, it's a it's I don't even know what to think about. I'm still I, I'm still clueless on what to even think about it or what I I can even do. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think anybody has the answer, man. That and that is just as terrifying. There yeah, is no is. answer <laughs> to this situation. And you know, I was thinking the the kids that are arrested for this, 13 and 14 years old. What happens to them now? Are they just going to get a slap on the wrist and be out when by the time they're 18? Is that what's going to happen? I don't know, man. Especially, I mean, Florida, uh, Marjorie Stoneman, Douglas shootings and all those things. I I don't I don't see them taking it lightly. I hope they don't anyways. But what can they do? Like, what's the limitations there? Because, I mean, can you really put a 13 and 14 year old in in prison for years and years and years and years and years for planning a mass shooting? Can you do if that? Were, I feel that way. I'm, yeah, man. If, I mean, see, now me, I'm getting emotionally involved because of my children. If I knew a 13, 14-year-old drew a fucking map of the school and had plans to assassinate my child, fuck that kid forever. Right, exactly. And, and I, I feel that way too, but then there's people out there that, that don't feel that way. I don't get, like, I, I just don't even know what the answer is because, I mean, I know they're not going to, uh, you know, they're not going to throw these kids in there for life. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You don't get a life sentence when you do something before you're 18. A lot of those situations, they get released at 18 or 21. I, I, is that going to happen with these kids when they've already proved that they have the mental capacity to, to think about something like this? No, I, no, I don't think anything. Uh, it's out of our hands, and uh, it's going to get even worse, right? Things get worse before they get better. Is that what it is? How? I mean, how many school how shootings many? do we have to have uh, before? A thousand more. We'll have a thousand more, and nothing will ever happen. Let me ask you this. If... If it was up to you, if the world is all of a sudden in your hands and, oh, it's up yeah. to, and it's up to you, what do you do to make our kids safer at school? You would say I had the whole world in my hands. Well, you have the option here to what I you would, would do to solve this problem. I would come up with a song first off, and it would go like, Nick's got the whole world in his Like, I think that would be a hit, and it'd be appropriate. At that point, I guess it would be appropriate. Dude, nobody has to. uh, Me, nobody wants to hear my answer. I do. That's why I'm asking. I want to hear what your answer is. School safer. What would you do to make our kids safe at school from things like this happening? Uh, (laughs) Right there. You have nothing. I don't know. That's it, man. We just said. We just said, man. I don't know. That's the scariest movie villain of all time. Is I don't know. I don't know who it is. I don't know what the answer is. And, and how do we find that answer? Where do we go? What do we What do we look at? Where I mean, what is the answer? Because a lot of people say it's gun regulation, but a lot of these kids aren't walking in with uh, guns they bought legally. No, so it's not. It's I don't think it's gun regulation. It's it's actually what it is. It's kids who found out that how they say you said that at your daughter's schools that. Uh, some kids found out about yeah, it and they told, and told a teacher. They yeah. told a teacher. That's From what I understand. Step yeah. one right there, man. It fucking worked that time. So then the 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 step one is to educate our kids. You know, if you yeah. if you see something like this, you know, formulating in front of you, you need to tell somebody. Yeah. It's sad, I know, but you gotta you gotta show kids. One time I saw this and you can you can fucking Google it. It's a real thing. It was like a pop up book of phobia. <laughs> 
<laughs> the pop-up book of phobias for children. Oh, <laughs> it was about it's it was a about shitty Christmas present, death. is what that is. It was about learning about death and stuff. And I figured, you know, fuck, you know, kids got books on how to handle death. You might as well start teaching them shit. Like, hey, look, people think that you can die. That's okay. They just really want their uh, fucking massive machine guns, and we gotta let them have it. You just gotta die. Sorry, kids. That's <laughs> Sorry, a- children. Uh, that's a man that's a harsh reality there when you were talking about the the you know basically telling the kids telling on the other kids when they see something like this happening and i mentioned mm-hmm. I, I mentioned that of course you know we were talking about we've talked about a lot of this stuff with my daughter and she was like you know a lot of kids you know they think snitches get stitches and i was like you cannot put the word snitches with this situation when you're a snitch you're snitching on someone who's making money illegally that is what the definition of a snitch is, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. If, if you snitch on someone for making money illegally, then you're a snitch. But if you are snitching, or, or not, let's not use the word snitching, if you are informing people in a position to help that a lot of people are going to be harmed, that is not snitching. No, no, no that's being a fucking superhero. It's being a responsible, <laughs> yeah, being a responsible person and Saving keeping yourself lives. and other people safe. And that's uh, that, you know, of course, when you said that's step one, of course, that is step one. And that's what I'm trying to put mm-hmm. to, to my daughter and to my kids so that they they understand that, hey, do not not say anything when you know something terrible could happen if you don't. Yeah. Um, so, Standing still is the worst thing. But then the question comes is what's step two? What's step three? What's the step that's going yes. to make our kids safe? And I don't have an answer for that. Neither do you. I, I did, but. I don't know. You I got did, kicked off Facebook. You got kicked off Facebook. Why did you get kicked off Facebook? Facebook told me that I have it screenshotted. And I'll have to. I'll have to read it out loud or something. But it said something to the effect of uh, what you sent. You posted something, and what you did is considered illegal in other country or in some countries. And I was thinking, man, I don't. I don't understand it. I think somebody may just be like trying to flame my shit. I don't know. Huh? Mostly because I'm stunting all the time. You see that shine, boy? No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I, I, I don't like boast or anything. Like the last thing I posted was a video of my daughter dancing to a uh, Fleetwood Mac song. I, I don't. I don't typically get on Facebook and just post something sexually explicit or. Any, I don't understand what that's about. So have you? Did I'm, you? email them and find try to find out i never really cared about that really i'm just not I'm saying, on facebook well you know it, it actually happened to me recently too i was i was clicking through my pictures and this was the weirdest thing ever because i'm just clicking through my pictures trying to get to a certain picture and because i clicked i guess so many times facebook just totally shut me down and was like you are misusing this feature so you're temporarily temporarily blocked and I'm like mm-hmm. temporarily blocked. So I sent him an email and was like, I was just clicking through my pictures, question mark. And then all of a sudden everything started working. Wow. Well, yeah. see, I think I tried to, I tried to get a hold of him once because of something, uh, another, you know, I got blocked because, uh, shared insider trade tips or something. I don't know why I got blocked, but I tried to message him one time and I, it was like, no, we stand by our decision. You're a horrible person. You that, all in. That's happened to me before <laughs> too. Didn't have to add that last part. I was like, whoa, Facebook. Yeah. I, I, one time I, 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 when I, this first started happening, this, uh, hardcore censorship on Facebook, I had called someone a bitch, like oh. probably, probably three, 
three years ago. It was like called some dude a bitch three years ago in a comment and I got banned for 30 days over. And and then I started thinking, God damn, how many things have I said in the last 11 years I've been on Facebook that mm-hmm. that are going to get me popped again. They're going to shut my whole thing saying. I when they catch just, up with I, me. We have so many friends or, you know, I, my Facebook profile is open. So anybody can come on there and just flame my shit, you know. Like and and flaming oh, is the term where they're just like, oh, they're, they're reporting you, reporting you, reporting you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Flagging, flaming, whatever. And uh, I think, I think somebody just hated my shit, man. Cause I'm, I mean, not only am I just incredibly intelligent and, and a psychologically sound man, but I'm fucking beautiful. Have you seen me lately? Here, a couple weeks ago, I saw all this dude in traffic. I've been thinking about him like, I guess he was pissed off at how I was driving. So I turned to look to see if he was going to give me the bird or, you know, whatever, whatever type of hatred he was wanting to give me for my driving actions. I turned to look and he gave me the, this universal sign for, wait, I'm going to get your ass like that. Like, I don't know if you understand that yeah. universal sign. Yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's like, oh, I'm Just getting like, you. Yeah. So uh, I'm in a town of several thousand people, <laughs> several hundred thousand people or whatever. And I still want to know if this dude's coming again. <laughs> I've been thinking about him. He, he told me, hold on a minute. And I followed him in traffic. Maybe he meant like a week or two from now, I'm going to bust your ass when you ain't expecting it. <laughs> So you may be dealing with a road rager very soon. There's a lot of road ragers up here. Yeah, a while back, I got two middle fingers at the same time, and I declared that guy the winner. I threw up mine, and he came back with two, and then I gave him the thumbs. I was like, you won. I gave him the thumbs up. I was like, yeah, you beat me, bud. Man, it sounds like driving is a uh, is a crazy experience in Detroit. Yeah, it's it sucks. It's a crazy experience here in Florida too. Do you ever have the situation where the panhandlers fist fight over corners? That happens a lot here. It, it really yeah, does. It, does. <laughs> it happens a whole lot here where you will easily drive down the street and see people just getting ready to throw down over a corner. And it's funny because it's not necessarily legal here to panhandle. So all of the panhandling signs are in a fold-up position. So they hold them, and if they see a cop, they start folding them up. So no. it's a it's a weird um, a weird dynamic, but it does not keep them from being there because they are definitely there all the time. And sometimes they get into fistfights. Well, that's a lot of people's jobs. Is yeah, it can be. I used to know a guy who uh, actually would panhandle at the bottom of the hill down from the bar that I was working at. And after mm-hmm. he was done panhandling, he would go to that bar and order a full tall glass as high as you could pour paying shot for shot of vodka. And he would order the most expensive meal on the menu. And then he would sit there for an hour, eat and drink all of that and talk about how much money he made a day. And then, oh. he, then he'd go get a hotel room. And it was like, wow, like this is a career for this guy. And, and a lucrative player, one. Man. A lucrative player. career. But at the same time, I, see, that's the type of shit that makes me not want to give people money now. You know, and I see people all the time, you know, like, hey, I'm out of work or I need gas or something like that. 
And if I have a few extra dollars, I'll give it to them. But in the back of my head, I'm always thinking, like, yeah, but this dude's going to go buy some heroin. Or like you said, he's just going to go out and fucking eat. And, well, I mean, that's what the minute was for, though, right? I guess to go get something to eat and drink. But oh, I mean, sure. Fancy shit. Yeah, but well, I mean, I, I get I, I get that. And yes, he should definitely be able to eat and drink. I'm not saying that he shouldn't, but uh, it just seemed. It, it, the, but was he really in the position of begging for money, though? Right. And that's the question is, was he, and I have a, I have kind of a position that I take where I I will definitely help people. I will buy people Mm -hmm. things. I will give them food. I will do, I will do anything other than hand them cash money. I will not hand cash money. I will not do cash money favors. I will, I will buy things. I will do things for someone. I will give someone a ride. I will, I I will do plenty of things, but I will not hand over cash money. That's my position on it. I only have I only have bad stories about giving people money. What is, what a fucking thing! But you, you want to help somebody, man? Uh, I think it was my mom telling me. She said she saw a dude that was you know not doing so well financially, and he had a dog with him. My mom went and bought them a couple of like dollar cheeseburgers or something from McDonald's. And she comes up and she's like, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm here to help. He's he has a sign up says I need money or something." She reaches out the uh, window of the car and, and is like, here, I, I got you some McDonald's food for you and your dog. This dude looks at her and says, oh, no, nah, we don't like mustard. Or so, he, he was like, they got mustard on them. We don't eat mustard. Are people allergic to mustard like that? Um, I don't think that, that that doesn't sound like an allergy to me. <laughs> I mean, maybe mustard, maybe there's something, I mean, really, dude, if, if you have a sign that says, I need money yeah. and you don't want food, then we all know what you're doing. It's funny. I heard a similar story about a, uh, about a cheeseburger and the response was that that because of religious reasons that they did not eat, they did not eat meat other than fish. And that was their that was their excuse for not taking the burger, even though they were holding a will will work for food sign. And I was thinking, you know, can you really afford to have religious uh, ideas like that when you're mm-hmm. starving? If you're starving, can you really can you really do that? Yeah, some people's priorities are all fucked up, bro. It seems like at that point your religion would be survival. Yeah, uh, God ain't giving you no food yet. You gotta fucking do it yourself. Well, and and who knows? You know, by that by that standard, I mean. God just provided you with a cheeseburger and you didn't eat it. God provided me with this. I hate, I hate, like, I love and hate this all at the same time. Check this out. I always hear about an artist and I'm like, okay, I might check him out. Maybe what I'm about to say is fucking little Nas X is the shit. And I don't give a fuck what anybody says. That stuff rules. Nobody ever warned me about him. I heard that one country, you know, Old Town Road song. I was like, hey, that's cute. Uh, It sounds like he could just write a nice hook. You know, like a popular hook, but you know that was it. Then I hear that Montero song, I'm like yo. Then I hear uh, the other one about how he's talking to himself as a uh, when he was working at Taco Bell. You know that video and song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, oh my god, that video is so good, man. Those songs are so great. He the kid really- is talented. He is very, yeah. very talented, and a lot of people are really upset with him for bringing gay culture into hip hop culture. And I don't, I don't necessarily get it. I, I don't I don't necessarily understand it. Every single music genre has had that aspect to mm-hmm. it. Why why can hip hop not? Uh, people just need to get off of it, man. Just it's like it's twenty one. It's the year twenty one. 
people have different preferences, man. As long as the beat's good, the meat's good. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I don't know how we got from panhandlers to little Nas X, but I'm glad we got here. I love when I love when artists make people uncomfortable. Marilyn Manson made people uncomfortable. Uh, Any any artist that makes people uncomfortable, I, I really tend to enjoy at least being a spectator of what's going on. Hey, so uh, Little Nas X, what else has been going on? Steve from Blue's Clues hit us up. That was great of him to do that. We started out with clues, and now it's what? Student loans and um, jobs and families, and some of it has been kind of hard. You know? I know you know. And I wanted to tell you that I, I really couldn't have done all of that without your help. And in fact, all the help that you helped me with when we were younger is still helping me today, right now. And that's super cool. I guess I just wanted to say that after all these years, I never forgot you, ever. And I'm super glad we're still friends. Thanks for listening. You look great, by the way. We're too old to have enjoyed Blue's Clues. I know. See, I had a friend post it and I watched it and I knew, I know who Steve is and I, I watched it. And I was like, damn, that's kind of, that's kind of heavy, but I watched a reaction video and there's something you notice about Steve. There ain't no blue in that video. Where is blue at? If blue doesn't fuck with you, then I don't. You fucked up too hard. You said you went to college like 20 years ago, man. I have, I have a statement. I have a statement I'd like to make right now that may get us canceled. And I, and I hope that it doesn't, but I will say right now that I think Josh is a better blues clues host than either one of those other guys, Steve included. My kid agrees. I actually, my kid loves blues clues. He watched the whole season so many times that he just wanted new episodes. So he'd already watched everything with Josh in it. And uh, then we were like, okay, well, well, let's watch some of these with Steve in it. And he was not digging Steve at all because Josh is always ever known. But Josh, the reason why I picked Josh is because Josh is an excellent singer. And Josh I, is good. And I also, you know, I, I have to watch Blue's Clues now because I have a three-year-old. Normally, I would not be sitting around watching Blue's Clues just to get that out there. Mm-hmm. That's what I do is I have to I have to watch with my two-year-old. And uh, I will tell you this. Josh is awesome. Super talented. Yes. Can act act so pure and good for the children and sing happy song shit i mean it gets me motivated you know it's like oh shit we got some mail Uh, tell me that tell me that solar system song is not the shit that's a great song man i I like Mm -hmm. i like blues clues and i like josh i like i like that i like uh Oh man, now I'm spilling the beans on what kids shows are like. You ever you, kids ever not be in the home and you turn the TV on? And you're still watching cartoons because it's already programmed in your fucking brain. Only Gumball. I will only Gumball. catch. I will find myself watching Gumball. I will find myself watching Gumball or Teen Titans Go without Rowan, or Rowan will already be asleep, and I'm still watching because I want to find out what happens at the end of Teen Titans. So that that those two, yes. The rest of them, I'm not going to watch Blues Clues by myself unless the Solar System songs on. <laughs> unless that, I will never not and listen. You're cranking that shit. You know, we were talking a few weeks ago about how every single time that Toto Africa comes on, we listen to the oh, whole song yeah. all the way through. I feel the exact exact same way about the solar system song on blues clues 
there's a couple uh you know who uh, uh the bubble guppy's got a couple bangers too man i ain't gonna lie ah man i can't i can't really i can't really fuck with the bubble guppies it really it's a really annoying i do like the everybody go outside thing that's mm-hmm. that's kind of it, it gets stuck dip, in your dip, head dip, dip, get up get up and go outside bubble guppies oh <laughs> it's melted in my brain that's yeah. your jam huh oh god well i like that they sing that one every episode that's their going to lunch one right what time is it it's time to lunch um <laughs> what the fuck are we talking about <laughs> so i was thinking about this you can tell me if i'm stupid or not which i am i was thinking uh new rapper names are really crazy and they almost involve always little as beginning uh, you and, know what i think that's from i think that's from the popularity of little wayne I think, I think it is. But what I was getting at is new rapper names. I was reading some of somebody's post and it felt almost like horse, the horses names in horse racing. You know how they always have real fucked up names like <laughs> yeah. daddy's little buttercup and you know, something, something crazy like that. So I was yeah. reading this post. I was like young Pharaoh's coming around the turn and little skies is not far behind, but wait a minute. That's, chance the rapper. Here he comes. There's two, there's two babies. One's little and one's dumb. Oh, dub baby. Yeah. Dub baby and little baby. There's two. <laughs> There's two different ones, uh, and they're not connected at all. They're not. Uh, they're not even a team. It's uh, even just the babies aren't connected. No, the babies are well, not connected. Congratulations to that dog. You know, not to bring up Little Nas X again, but Little Nas X having Nas in his name, I I do find that. Team. Two rapper names. I do find three. that. Yeah, three. Little Nas X. He he took a little bit from Little Wayne, a little bit from uh, Nas. Well, the whole thing from Nas. Took the whole yeah. name. He just, just he took, took it all, all three letters from Nas. Took, yeah, like, took mm-hmm, all three letters. Nah. And then he took uh, DMX's X and threw them together to be Little Nas X. And I, I don't uh, I don't necessarily think that the, uh, the, the sharing names is a great thing. No. Confuses no. the audience, I, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, Especially the kids uh, that did not grow up with Nas. The, the, right now, to me at least, he's popular enough to know his name. Now, there's several people. Like, I mean, especially if you get into movies and things, all these different TV shows and all these media personalities, that's hard to keep up with. And I know rap is kind of hard to keep up with because rap's whole thing is continuity. It's the new thing, whatever the new thing is, the new beat, the new sound. I just find it to be crazy that, well, Nas, of course, is one of the greatest rappers of all time. And if Mm -hmm. you mention the name Nas to kids, they do not think of one of the greatest rappers of all time. They think of little Mm -hmm. Nas X. And that's where the the confusion comes in. Because, of course, course anybody who's familiar with Nas is not going to confuse the two. Uh, well, kids are fucking stupid to begin with. Very true. Kids are stupid. So, um, my mom lives uh, nine hours away, so we'll give her a, a, a video call every once in a while, me and my kids. And we did a little little, uh, little video call to her, and she says, hey, let me talk to Cameron, her grandson, my son. And she's like, hey, um, you know, you're really interested in space, which he is. He loves space and stars and planets and asteroids, everything. He loves every aspect about space. And my mom goes on to say, like, hey, 
um, I have this friend who works with somebody and they're going to send you a package in the mail and it's going to be a bunch of books and little uh, activities you could do all about space and it's all real real neat things and and Cameron's not really paying attention my son he's not really paying attention he's like oh okay that's cool he's like playing Roblox or whatever the fuck and it turns out I said so who's your who's your friend and my mom named somebody she's like oh Susie Q something and I was like oh okay no I don't know them I guess they're not that important she's like yeah he's in Jeff Bezos circle so Jeff Bezos is sending a package to Cameron full of space shit wow tell me that isn't the coolest shit that <laughs> I told her I said no fuck that send it to me <laughs> he's gonna just lose yeah. it or break something can That's you can you possibly get me in contact with Cameron yeah, because I think he might right. be a, he might be a really good co-host for the show yeah i mean he knows jeff bezos so i i want to get him involved that's that's crazy your kid's going to be connected with uh the biggest richest Uh, super villain ever i'm sure he doesn't even really know the woman i just somehow she's got uh uh, the ends on how to get some of uh some of his things like like little models and things of outer space so i mean she said that and i was like you know you're full of shit right and she's like no no she she worked with them for 20 years or something i'm like oh cool <laughs> so, so how do you feel about cameron getting packages from super villains mm. oh, you, you think he's a lex Luthor? I mean, he definitely looks like a lot. He definitely definitely looks the part, and he's got the money. So uh, I guess. uh, But is he really bad, though? I guess he's not that bad. I imagine he's charitable at some some stance in life. You can't have that goddamn much money and not give away things. But you know who didn't? Was Steve Jobs. He never donated a dime to cancer research. You know what cancer research did to Steve Jobs? Killed him. Put him six feet. Everybody always asks themselves what they would do if they were in Jeff Bezos' position. Like, what would you do if you had a billion dollars? What What would you do <laughs> Two differently? Two chicks at the same time, man. <laughs> Two chicks. <laughs> what, I mean, what would you do with your money to make the world a better place? I think is more the question. Man, I, it's, shoot, where do I begin? I mean, I would. Uh, it's he doesn't have infinite money. So you got to think of that. I don't think we're going to solve the entire planet's problems, but uh, just to now, I would imagine the first thing would be something go to like some type of local charity, any, any, any charity that is struggling. I would like to, you know, help build up one of those. I wouldn't necessarily like invest it into something else for me, for my benefit or anything. As long as you name the, the building, Nick Ledford's building of, you don't have that disease anymore. Thanks for having all that money. That's memorial. What, that's that man. Memorial. Like, <laughs> memorial. Ask for it by name. If I had the money that Jeff Bezos has, then I could find a lot of things to do. I'm not sure if I would just donate to charity as much as I would like, uh, you know, start my own solutions at that point. I've got all this money. Mm. Why would I put the, if I made all this money and I have all this money, then why would I put that money in the other, in the hands of other people to make decisions on how to help people when I could just do it myself. I think- we need to find out his charitable work because I don't, is going to space one of your fucking things? I would not go to space with my money, I don't think. Space is cool. Space is awesome. But I, uh, right now, if I had that money, I'm not fucking around with space. And why, 
why do billionaires have a thing with space? Is it, why is, it, is that a running thing? Like you got yeah. Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Jeff Richard Bezos. Branson. Everybody wants to go to space. It makes me wonder if they know something about space that we don't as regular average people without a billion dollars. So we've got a good show coming up for you today. We've got Alex Ansel. He is going to be in the studio talking about his life as a comedian on the road and in Las Vegas. It's going to be an interesting conversation, and we're going to go for a very, very long and grueling panel about my body, my choice. We're talking about vaccine mandates, mask mandates, and we're also talking about abortion all in the same panel. That is coming up in just a little bit. So last week, Zach Cook from Pink Casino was here, and we heard a clip of All I Ever Wanted from Pink Casino, but we only got a clip. This week, we've got the exclusive drop. So ladies and gentlemen, here it is. All I ever wanted by Pink Casino on the Brian Reznor Experiment.
Ladies and gentlemen, we are back here on the Brian Reznor Experiment. I've got my co-host, Nick Ledford, with me, and I've also got another special guest, and his name is Alex Ansel. And Alex Ansel is living right now currently in Las Vegas. He is a comedian on the strip doing his thing as a comedian in a place that is, is kind of comedy-friendly and, and all types of different shows, of course. How are you doing, Alex? Doing fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Man, I'm glad that you were able to uh, to be on mm -hmm. the show because I know you're busy constantly. I, I barely even get to talk to you anymore. True, true, very true. Yeah, what, um, you know, last couple of weeks I've been uh, blessed of uh, been able to work at my home club inside the Strat, which is the big tower on the Strip. Uh, it's called the LA Comedy Club, and uh, I've been on the 6 p.m. show uh, for the last three weeks straight, and hopefully we can keep that streak going and maybe just be a permanent part of it. So we'll see. Yeah, you know? we shall see. But uh, right now, what year was it that we met? It was when you were on tour with Jake the Snake Roberts' comedy tour. What, um, what probably 2016, 2017. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. 2016. Um, up in West Virginia, right? Right, exactly. That's where awesome. That's where we met, and I've just been uh, kind of following your career ever since. Like, living through the Facebook wall in the life of a comedian on the Strip but that life keeps you constantly busy. Trying to be, yeah, absolutely. So how, how absolutely. Is, what is it like being a comedian in Las Vegas? Uh, I mean, the, I, I love it because the scene out here is is amazing. I've, and especially, I feel like we're going through kind of a renaissance because of so many people leaving California due to COVID. And, you know, a lot of people are also moving to Austin, Texas. Is like, that's the new comedy hotspot because Joe Rogan is now based out of there. He's building a comedy club out there. And then I'm um, kind of putting his stamp and approval on on young new hot talent. But what I love about Vegas is that it's relatively cheap to live here. But you're also four hours from Los Angeles. You're four hours from Phoenix. You're about five hours from Salt Lake City. And I love that, you know. So yeah, I can like do shows in three states right around me. Whereas where I came up and started in my hometown of San Antonio, go Spurs go. If you go four or five hours in any direction in San Antonio, you're still in Texas. You're considered the uh, funniest man in Texas, right? Even though you're not there anymore. <clears throat> uh, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> uh, I like to say that uh, I'm the lone star that left. No. The lone star uh, <laughs> that left. <laughs> if anything, I kind of, you know, when I left Texas, I was like, well, I kind of did everything I could do in Texas. And, um, and it was time for me to move on to another scene. And, you know, something in comedy they always talk about is like, well, you go to New York to get good. And then you go to L.A. to get famous. And uh, I felt like, ah, I'm already pretty good, I guess. Uh, let me just go. Let me head west. And um, especially when I got the offer to come out uh, west, you know, to Vegas specifically, and we'll get into that. Um, I, I always felt like Vegas is kind of like a big, dumb cartoon city. And I'm a big, dumb cartoon of a person. So it's like <laughs> it's a good fit for me. And um, I love it. You know, there's so many opportunities, so many venues. And then the cool thing is you don't get locked into like super regional stuff because if you're working on something tourist heavy like the strip, you're going to get people from all over the place. You right. know, whereas a lot of times in L.A. you can get kind of locked into let me play for these, you know, California crowds that are always going to be leaning towards one side or the other. And I don't think you can really grow from that. Whereas especially something like comedy and this political climate, you should be able to make everyone laugh. Right. And 
if it's something, you know, somebody might be sensitive to or offended by, oh no. Uh, you know, I just want to make everybody laugh and, you know, if you want to think about it too, but it's, so I'm, I'm having fun out here in Vegas. It's funny and, you bring uh, that up. It's funny that you bring that, that <laughs> the whole offensive thing up. How has that affected your act? Uh, the whole new culture. How has that affected your act? I, okay. So in live comedy, you kind of, you you can definitely get away with a lot more and like doing stuff on stage and live because you know what what are people getting canceled on well it's you know tweets that are 10 15 years old uh i you know i'm not famous or have enough reach or enough pull to be quote unquote canceled yet and even one of the jokes i do on stage is like hey uh you're gonna hear some ill shit out of my mouth uh one i don't care two it's not coming from a place of hate and three i won't live long enough for you to cancel me uh, you know, so it's like, that's how I set it up. And, uh, and then I, I like to have, I, I do keep some people on deck that I'm like, Hey, can I run something by you before I just like blurt something out or, or, you know, tweet something like even, you know, even right now there's uh what a trans athlete that was in an MMA fight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, somebody that could, uh, transition from, uh, male to female is now fighting, born females and i'm like finally a reason for me to watch mma mma is boring <laughs> to me but now you mix it up like that yeah. these will be the only mma fights i want to watch you know Ever. yeah used that's to be if you wanted to see a a man and a lady fight you'd have to have some italian neighbors but no <laughs> now you can pay money to watch it <laughs> so, so um i guess that kind of answers my next question but what i was going to say is you are the self-proclaimed cringe influencer um what what is a self-proclaimed cringe influencer if you don't mind me asking i just hate i mean it's kind of like a take on the influencer culture as a as a whole anyway it's it's to me regular influencers are cringe or or people that call themselves influencers are cringe i you know if, especially if you have less than ten thousand people on stuff like i do i just you know to me it's like um it's almost like oh i do barefoot clogging what um it's just <laughs> another like joke on that whole type of uh industry and then you know if you put a uh, influence in your bio you might get free stuff so who knows that's true so the cringe influencer thing that's th that's the new gimmick the uh the, the original gimmick that i met you with was the kool-aid gimmick can you explain yeah. to me how you got wrapped up in into kool-aid well uh you know when you go to jail the first time you know that's that's when you get a nickname <laughs> and, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I got white privilege out the ass. Um, no, I uh, knock on wood. I'm in the drill. Uh, but no, I got the nickname Kool-Aid in middle school, you know, so from being a fat kid in a red shirt, you know, uh, but one of the jokes I used to do, and I still do it every once in a while when I talk about my nickname and everything is that, uh, uh, you know, they call me Kool-Aid cause I make the ladies go, Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so I have a It'll bunch of other handy. jokes that go with that. Um, sure. But yeah, you know, I still, people still call me Kool-Aid. It's still a nickname. I've had it since I was like 12 years old. Um, I remember and, when and we booked is? you at the club, I, when we booked you at the club in West Virginia, I had no fucking clue who you were. And they were pushing this, you know, oh, Alex 
Kool-Aid Ansel is coming to your club. I'm like, all right, well, cool. We'll push this guy. Let me look up some of his comedy. Let me put some of his stuff out there. And then we started getting phone calls. Is it true the Kool-Aid guy's coming to to, to the the bar? And like uh, like people knew who you were by the Kool-Aid gimmick. And I was like, man, I I really need to pay attention to this guy. And that's when I started listening to your stuff. And I was like, wow, this guy's funny. (laughs) Thanks, man. And and, uh, especially... Like I have some friends in West Virginia. I have family in West Virginia and I lived in West Virginia and Morgantown for about six months. And so that's uh, probably why a lot of people in West Virginia knew who you were right out the gate. Well, and, and actually I lived in West Virginia, seriously, a year before I started comedy. And I worked at a Best Buy with a bunch of kids that were going to the school at the same time. And I'm sure after they graduated, they dispersed all over the state, all over the country. Now you start so in comedy. Like, that's 13 years ago, right? Yeah. 13 yeah. years ago this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this week. Right. You know, so it's, it's, um, I, 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 it's weird to like, Okay, so my my comedy anniversary, whatever it's, um, they both are in September. So it's from the first time I went on stage to to do an open mic, and then really two years later is when I got my first like paid gig. So it's like, well, how long have you been doing comedy? And it's kind of, and really those first two years, I was kind of like half assing in, just like, oh, I guess I'll do it. I do, but then when I started, what really happened was that Circuit City shut down, and uh, I got put on unemployment back then. And, uh, you know, I was still living at home. So I was able to live pretty cheap getting unemployment. And then, um, I was like, you know what, let me focus on this comedy thing and, uh, was able just to concentrate on it. And it's like anything else, the work you put in is what you get out. Now and, at that uh, point, had you just been doing open mics and stuff or, or, yeah, or- pretty much. Yeah. I was, um, I was doing a couple like paid shows here and there, like different restaurants and bars and venues, but I, I was of the mindset and I still am like, you're not a comedian unless you're, you know, you're working at a comedy club. Cause that's, that's where comedians work. They work in a comedy club and, and it wasn't until I got my first check that had my, my slave name on it. Uh, I call it my slave name cause it was given to me by the white man that owns me, my dad. And, uh, you know, I had my name on there with the logo and I was like, Oh shit. Like I'm a comedian now I could put this on my taxes. You know, I'm not a cashier at something. And then, Oh, comedian in my bio. What's up? You know? (laughs) (laughs) So you officially became a comedian at that point when you're, when your name was on a check. Yeah. Cause I always said, I'm like, cause people didn't introduce me and they're like, Oh, this cool lady is a comedian. And I'm like, I do comedy, you know, like, but then when I got the, the check and the check was only like 175 bucks for a weekend of shows of emceeing, which is, you know, 25 bucks a show. It's not a much, but it's like <gasps> validation, you know, <laughs> the validation was uh, worth more than money. So absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. If you do comedy for the money, you're, you're dumb as hell. Yeah, because uh, you're gonna struggle uh, a lot. <laughs> so 13 years—that is a very long time to do anything, and that builds up a lot of stories. Up a big journey from start to finish, where you're at now. Because I mean, a lot of comedians would kill to be where you're at right now. You were like, Absolutely. you're in the hub. Yeah. I mean, you're straight up in the hub. Like you said, you're really close to some major cities. You're in a major city, and in that major city, you can see people from not a, not all over the country, all over the world, yeah. all, all over the world people will see you in Las mm-hmm. Vegas. So you're in the perfect spot, but they, you haven't always been in the perfect spot. There's a big journey there. <laughs> tell me, tell me how yeah. it started. You know, how did it get how, when, when you first started like, Hey, this is it. I'm a comedian. Now you've got your yeah. validation. Where do we go from here? Um, so what really kicked it off for me was in 2010, uh, I won my home club's 
comedy contest. And it was my first time entering like a comedy competition. You know, I was like the one of the newer guys I was getting in the MC rotation. And in the contest, you only need like, you know, seven hot minutes. And I was like, all right, I got five to seven hot minutes. You know, I'll I'll try out for this competition, you know, of the of the first round. Uh, I'm and still to this day, I hate doing comedy competitions because it's a different it's almost like a different muscle than doing like a regular comedy show. You know, it's you you just you're performing and not as much reacting because it's like, all right, here's what I got to do. Here's my set. And ah, this is what your guys are getting. So. And the first round, I was like, oh, my God, there's so much good competition here. I don't know what's going to happen. Da, 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 da. And I, I get off stage after my set and the manager was like, hey, after the show, uh, I need to talk to you. And I'm always the type of person I always think the worst. I'm like, oh, man, the principal wants to see me. I'm in trouble. You know, it's like, oh, you're student of the month, by the way. You know, so I found out I made it to the finals. And then after the show, he goes, yeah, we're not going to have you work at the club downtown anymore. We're promoting you to work at the new club here by the airport. And I was like, wait, what? You know, like, okay. Um, And again, I was like one of the because it used to be you'd have to be the middle act of the downtown club to even open at the new place. Yeah. So after a couple of weeks of becoming a professional paid MC at one club, uh, that's when they had the season for funniest person in South Texas, uh, which is like my home comedy clubs, uh, club contest. And at the time the club owned, uh, or the club kind of like the touristy trap river center that was in the mall, downtown San Antonio. And then the, the new big shiny, Ooh, uh, club by the airport, uh, where the, competition was being held at so two uh, distinctive the- levels of club like you've got your you know your base yeah. club that you're getting a little bit of traction on but then you've got your major mm-hmm. club by the airport where everybody's yeah. going to exactly so like uh you know of course the downtown one you're gonna have a lot more tourists so you can't you can do some local references but not too many and then the the bigger one the newer one by the airport it's mostly locals and, you know, th- those were kind of and then it's free parking, all that kind of stuff, whereas you'd have to pay for parking at the at the one downtown. It was a pain in the ass to get to whatever. So you're paying your dues because it's like it's a hassle just to go down there and perform for free at open mics. You know, yeah. March of uh, 2010 happens and uh, I enter uh, my first ever comedy competition. Funniest person in the South Texas. And after my set in the first round. At the time, I only did like two or three weeks downtown, and then they already, boom, promoted me to the uh, Uptown Club, to the new one. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, uh, yes, thank you. Oh, okay. It didn't pay anymore, but it was just more more validation, know, prestige to it. You yeah. know, uh, then I, I do the finals. I, again, filled with self-doubt, imposter syndrome. I don't know what I'm doing. Da, da, da. Uh, ended up winning. Uh, funniest in South Texas, 2010. I got a big trophy. $500 check. My dad and his husband were there. Weird sentence to say. And, it, and to him, I said, hey, I'm going to keep doing this comedy thing because I love it. Because three weeks prior to that, my dad pulled me aside and he went, so how long are you going to give this comedy thing a shot? You know, is this is this something that, is this a hobby? Do you want to pursue it? And at the time, I just told him, I love it. I just love being on stage. I love performing. And if I can find a way to make this uh, into something viable, then uh, if I could, you know, scrape by and struggle like I have been, then hell yeah, let's do it. And that's what I've been doing. <laughs> so at that point, you pretty much kind 
kind of hit the ceiling in Texas because you're the funniest guy in in South Texas. There. Well, uh, that I mean, that was again, that was with like seven minutes. You know what I mean? And the competition where, and I was, you know, there's people that were pretty hardcore in this competition that have been headlining that have worked at all these other venues across the country. And, you know, it was just like, Oh, this doesn't mean I'm funnier than them. I just had a really good set that night. That's really, you know, and that was in 2010. And, and then I would, I got all kinds of offers and they're like, Hey, you won that contest. We want you to do this show. We want you to do that show. And I was lucky enough to like not oversell myself. And I just kind of went, well, I don't really have 45 minutes, which is what usually a headliner does, 45 to an hour. And because I was two years in. How many minutes did you have at this point? Like how many um, many minutes are you rolling around with? So, yeah. So any comics listening to this, they know where I'm coming from. Back then, I felt like I had 20. (laughs) Uh, But really, it boils down to I probably had like a good 10, you know, 12 that were uh, looking back at it now. I'm like, no, I still had seven. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you talk to any comic that's been doing it three, four years and they're like, yeah, I got an hour. I'm ready to record my special. And it's like, okay, buddy. Okay. Uh, you, you go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm lucky. I had the wherewithal to kind of like, again, just, uh, be like, Hey, I can't really do this much time. And they're like, Oh, okay. Hey, thank you for being honest with us. We appreciate that. And then I would go and perform at these places and they're like, yeah, when you come back, we're going to have you headline. You did fantastic. And I went, okay. Um, so, and that was me in a lot of places. And I just kind of would just kind of ascend. And they're like, oh, you're so, you do great. We're going to, you know, bump you up. I'm like, okay, do I get paid more? <laughs> you know, um, I had reliable transportation at the time. That helped out a lot too, especially in a state as big as Texas. Yeah. And, um, and then really after those couple of years, um, what I started getting into was producing shows too, because I have a background in graphic design and, and, and so I could make the flyers. Uh, I had a badass camera cause I used to sell weed and, uh, and I bought a PA system from selling weed. And, uh, so I would go to, and I knew how to like talk to, to business owners and be like, Hey, and they're like, Hey, you're Kool-Aid, the comedian. We know you. And I go, Hey, I like your venue have you thought about doing comedy here? I mean, and then they were like, Oh, I love the stuff you do. I see you do flyers for this place. And, and I would work with local businesses, get them to sponsor a show. And I had all these like little side hustles going fingers and so many pies that I was like, obviously you make more money producing shows. And then if you're producing shows, that gives you a lot of juice because then comics from, you know, all over the state, all over the country, when they come through, they're like, Oh, you're going through South Texas. Yo, you got to hit up Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid's got, he's got a pizza place that he does a show at. He's got this bar that he does a show at here. He does a show. Boom, 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 boom. And uh, right around that time of doing that for a couple of years, that's when I um, linked up with uh, Jake and his uh, uh, manager slash daughter at the time. I got linked up from a buddy of mine uh, because he wanted to, uh, he talked to Jake about doing like his performance thing after the. Now, now wait, before you get into that, we need to say yeah. uh, for the people who, who are listening, not everyone may know who Jake is. And we're talking about right. professional wrestler, Jake, the snake Roberts. And if you don't know who oh. Jake, the snake Roberts is, he is, he was a wrestler at one time. He carried a snake to the ring. He also had some pretty bad battles and demons with alcohol and drugs. And then he yeah. came back from that with DDP. Yo, 
yoga and the help of Diamond Dallas Page and and his family and, and things like that. And then he went on a, a comedy tour. And when I first heard about that and was like, Jake the Snake Roberts is going to be doing comedy, I was like, this makes zero sense to me. Because if you know yeah. anything about Jake the Snake Roberts, this guy is not funny. This guy is methodical. When he speaks, he speaks in in riddles. I could never picture him doing stand-up comedy. And yeah. not to mention, his voice is almost pretty much fucking gone. Like, yeah, I mean, he can barely Yeah, he can barely speak. So I'm thinking, this is this can't be good. And it was fucking amazing. I booked it anyway because I'm a huge wrestling mark. So if I'm going to yeah. get to meet Jake the Snake Roberts, I don't care if he sucks. He can get up there and suck all he wants. He's Jake Roberts. But, <laughs> You're like, I got my photo with him. <laughs> exactly. And that's all I cared about. But it was so good. And as a wrestling fan, I really enjoyed it because of the stories. But his presentation, his, and when you were just talking about, you know, you, you bumped your head on the glass ceiling of Texas really freaking early. <laughs> I mean, you, you launched really early. You hit the, the ceiling really early and you only had 15 minutes. And, and you said that 15 was maybe closer to seven. So it yeah, well, that, uh, right around when I won, but then over the course of those like five, six years of producing shows. And of course you get more material, you travel around more and stuff, but it immediately um, so, yeah. lit a fire under your ass. You're like, Oh my God, I need 45 minutes. Like t- yesterday. You know, yeah. that, that's so you were automatically trying to get up to that level. And then you think about Jake the Snake Roberts, who's never done this before in his life. And yeah. he stood up there for an hour, maybe more than an hour, and told, I mean, it, it was it was hilarious. I mean, absolutely yeah, hilarious. Like a weird sitcom or something. They, <laughs> to be a weird sitcom. <laughs> oh, for sure. One's a professional wrestler and the other's a comedian. Oh, yeah. We lived together for a while, too, out yeah. here in Vegas. And. Yeah, we'll definitely get uh, get into that. But, uh, yeah, I linked up with uh, Jake. And and here, again, I'm a huge wrestling fan. I My wrestling heyday uh, for me was like Attitude Era, so like 97 and on. So I you would kind of see Jake the Snake here and there. Oh, he was in the Royal Rumble in San Antonio. Okay, cool. My, my first exposure to uh, Jake the Snake was in the Beyond the Mat uh, documentary. And of course you talk to Jake about it. And I'm like, Oh, it's a work, you know, it's, oh, it's a piece of shit. Da, da, da. I get why, you know, he would right. say that. Uh, but again, as, as like a, a, you know, 14, 15 year old hardcore into wrestling, I'd, you know, one day I'd wear WWF t-shirt the next day it'd be WCW just loved everything about it. That was like, Oh man. And that documentary is like gnarly. Cause you see him going through like drug stuff and and scoring crack at one point and the you know like yeah. it's pretty hardcore and then almost uh, you know fifteen years later it's like oh hey you want to you want to do a comedy show with this guy <laughs> yes you know <laughs> absolutely uh, Man, holy crap somebody I used to watch on TV I'm gonna open for them holy it's, shit it's crazy yeah. that you have yeah. that perspective that your perspective the very first time you seen Jake the Snake Roberts was in that documentary because that's a horrible way to be introduced to Jake the Snake Roberts <laughs> yeah you know I think about my childhood I was introduced to Jake the Snake Roberts as Jake the Snake Roberts in the WWF as as a larger than life figure you know what i mean and then i seen beyond the mat so there was a sadness there for me and and a and a defeat mentality there for me and for you it was right out the gate this guy is in a terrible situation constantly but then i i also heard you know about the the documentary 
you know, the resurrection of uh, Jake the Snake, which came out, yeah, in uh, 2014. And that's when we were talking about booking the, the shows because uh, I had a mutual friend, uh, Jason Lee, who, funny enough, I met this dude through a MySpace group of uh, Nintendo DS fans and enthusiasts. Hell yeah. Right? That's so how we me just. And my wife met. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you literally met in a in a MySpace group in 2002, 2003. Always stayed in touch. He was in the hospital because uh, he did some indie wrestling himself. He, uh, I think he broke his pelvis or something. So uh, he's like, "Hey, I'm stuck in the hospital. Can somebody send me links of stuff to watch?" So I was like, "All right, here's my 30 minute clip." from like 2013, I sent him that and I get a message back like 32 minutes later. And he's like, Oh my God, dude, I didn't know you were this funny. Why aren't you on comedy central? I'm going to do anything I can to get you booked here in Kansas city. I was like, yo, thank you for the kind words. He goes, I was laughing so hard. The nurses kept checking on me. Then I had them watch your stuff with me. You're so, and I'm like, Oh, thank you so much. You know, uh, a couple months go by and he goes, Hey, I'm talking to this wrestler right now. And uh, would you be interested in like opening for a rest wrestler? And I was like, yeah, uh, Mick Foley has been doing it, you know, at that point. And I was like, sure. You know, wrestlers get people's butts and seats, you know? So he couldn't tell me the wrestler uh, yet, but turns out he was talking to Jake, the snake. And uh, so he talks to me and he goes, Hey, um, this wrestler I want to work with, they want to do, uh, some shows in, in 2015 leading up to WrestleMania in Dallas, in Texas. Are there some venues in Texas you can recommend where we could book the shows at? And I go, yeah, I can help you with that stuff, but can I be on the show? And he goes, yeah, no, you're definitely going to be on. This is what I want to put together is you and this wrestler. And I go, okay. And he hit up all the venues that I recommended to him. And they're like, oh, Kool-Aid's great. We love Kool-Aid. Yes. This sounds like a great show, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, oh, yeah, by the way, it's Jake the Snake Roberts. And I was like, what? <laughs> and because uh, and I, you know, like kept in track on like wrestling blogs and different things of like, oh, he's doing some spoken word stuff here. He's turned his life around. He's clean. He's, you know, all these great reviews on the documentary. And I was like, yo, this is going to be awesome. So I think we did like nine, uh, seven shows in nine days leading up to Mania. And we did shows all over Texas. And as the tour went on, <laughs> I, he let me do more and more time, you know? And then I would watch a set every night and I would be like, Hey, I got some notes for you. And in the first like couple nights, he's like, Oh, okay. You have notes for me, Jake, the snake Roberts. And it wasn't until like the fourth or fifth gig, we were in San Angelo, Texas. They put the wrong time in the newspaper for the show. And uh, which tells you how they get their information in San Angelo <laughs> in the newspaper. Uh, and the promoter was like, Hey, can you, can you do like 45 before the show starts? Or can you do 45? Uh, Cause usually he had me, he had me doing about 15 to 20. Yeah. And I was like, I think, yeah, yeah, I think I you did you. 20 at ours. What's that? I, I said, I think you did 20 at ours. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because there were a couple other comics there and whatnot. So, so in San Angelo, uh, yeah, they're like, can you do 45? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Yo, everything was hitting. It was like magic that night. Bam, bam. You know, I ended up getting a standing O. Wow. Right. And, uh, and, you know, like one person stood up, two people, three people. Everybody stood up when I finished my set. And I was just like, oh, shit. Like, I just fucked up. You know, like, I I can't. I'm about to bring on the headliner, the main guy. And, the, and I'm just like, oh, please sit down. Please. Sit. Like, you people are getting me fired. That's what I was thinking. Because I looked at Jake, and Jake was like, Ugh. 
he was like growling. I'm like, ah, you know, I didn't like know him that well. Right. Like, oh. You thought you were going to get DDT right there. <laughs> so uh, he gets up on stage and he, you know, he's, he's a master dude. Like you, when you think about pro wrestling is you're commanding thousands of people with just your body language, you know, you got to move fast enough to make it a convincing fight, but then slow enough to where people in the rafters can see it and see what you're doing. And I always, I always said this, you know, Jake's amazing um, with like telling a story again, just physically. And then you give them a microphone. I, and I would say it's like giving a ninja an AK 47. You're taking something that's deadly and you're just making it more dangerous. <laughs> and he kind of reset the pace. Cause I'm high energy and he just, you know, gave me a couple compliments and then he worked it and then he got his own standing. Oh, and then, uh, Oh, so this happened. So I bring him up. Right. And then as we're, you know, crossing each other, he goes, uh, he grabs me by the elbow and he like leans in and he goes, I want to talk to you after the show. And again, it's that whole like, Oh God, I'm in trouble with the principal. Oh my God, I'm in trouble with the principal. <laughs> so after the show's over, he goes outside to have a cigarette and he goes, did pretty well tonight. And I'm just like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm thinking, all right, this is, I'm not going to be on the rest of the tour. I fucking, he's going to tell me to slow down, hit the brakes, whatever. And he goes, I want every night to be like that. This is the only way I'm going to get better is if you do what you did tonight. And then I, you know, and I just went, okay, yes, sir. <laughs> uh huh. And then he was like, um, yeah, also, I want you to come visit me in Vegas. And, you know, at that point, I was doing, you know, comedy seven, eight years. And I'm like, sure. Everybody said, oh, yeah, come visit me when you come out. You know, you're just like, okay, whatever. You know, we finish out the run in Texas. And we stayed in touch. And he kept hitting me up. And he goes, hey, man, when are you coming to Vegas? Hey, man, when are you coming to Vegas? And I'm just like, I, I, you know, I'm busy, man. I'm, I'm at the time I was uh, selling weed. <laughs> I was producing shows. Um, I was also a, for six years, I did this. I was a defensive driving instructor in Texas, which means that in Texas, um, if you get a, a moving violation, texting while driving, speeding, you can have that ticket dismissed if you take a driving safety course and they would do comedy driving safety courses at the comedy club. And I would teach that I would do that three times a week. Six hours is one of is how long one of these classes are. And so this whole time, you know, you're showing these horrible videos and these cheesy videos, and then you have to make people laugh in between it's daytime. It's sober. Again, you have to be clean. That was just like good training for me too. Uh, so, so wait, 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 the day. hold on. Explain. So, Comedy driving courses, like these people could actually get credit for taking a driving course, but also get entertained at the same time. Exactly. Old rundown, like uh, Shoney's by any chance. <laughs> uh, they have done it. Uh, yeah. At places like that, but I would do it at a comedy club. I would do it at this pizza place. I would do it at this place in a strip mall. They would send me to these different spots to, um, to teach this course at, because once you're certified, you can kind of, as long as it's the same curriculum, you could teach it in different places. And so I did that for six years. And uh, again, that helped me with like my crowd work. It helped me like not think dirty and how to make people laugh without four letter words or potty mouth or sex stuff or drug stuff, you know, where you could allude to it, but then, you know, uh, and then I think I've unlearned a lot of that here in Vegas because I listen to my sets. I'm like, I gotta stop cursing so much. I can't put all these bleeps on Instagram clips. <laughs> 
So is that how you got to Vegas was through Jake the Snake Roberts? Is that how you right. got your connection? So, yeah. So Jake was like, hey, come out. And I go, fine. I got these 10 days open in May. That's when I can come out. Because, again, what? Uh, May, so we did the shows in March. Mania's early April. That's when he was bugging me. May is when I told him I could come out. I go, I have these 10 days open. Which of these 10 days do you want me in Vegas? And he goes, come out all 10 days. And I'm like, 10 days is a lot of time to spend at someone's place, you know? Uh, so I came out. One of those days was my birthday that I happened to be out here. And uh, so I go out there and he um, has me doing like DDP yoga. Uh, and his daughter showing me how to like do juicing and, and, you know, they're kind of like showing me healthier stuff. Cause the first time I met Jake, he, he asked me, he's like, Oh, he's like, how big are you? Like, how much do you weigh? And, and I was like, I, I honestly don't know, probably like five fifty. And he goes, man, if you keep going like this, you're not going to be around. And I was like, thanks hero. You know, like in my head, like, cool. You must be fun at parties. <laughs> Like, Jesus, dude! You know, like, like, just right into it. Earlier, Jake speaks in riddles, and it's just like, well, fuck, man! Are you cutting a promo on me? What's what the hell? Like he doesn't even know you, and he's already giving you this advice. Yeah, because it's like you know, and I'm sure he was coming from the place of like, well, DDP helped me. Let me help this young man. And so um, I was like, oh wow, you know. Uh, so we hang out for a couple days and I come down from, uh, one morning, wake up, you know, come down the stairs and he's like, Jake goes, uh, yeah, I was talking to Dallas and I'm like, Bo Dallas, my favorite wrestler ever. And, uh, <laughs> Bo Dallas, there we go. Bo leave baby. You got to believe. Uh, and he goes, he goes, <laughs> he goes, no dumbass dad, diamond Dallas page. And I go, oh, okay, cool, you know, because <laughs> he, he, so you know, something I learned when you hang out with, you know, uh, people that you've looked up to or celebrities or whatnot, they're like, oh yeah, they just call them by their first name because they know each other. <laughs> you yeah, you don't like, think about that, huh? Yeah, exactly. And you're like Dallas, oh, that Dallas, you know. Uh, and he goes, yeah, you know, we're we're doing DDP yoga with you, and you're learning how to eat healthy and stuff. He goes, we should document this, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool, you know. He goes, you know what that means? And I go, mm -hmm. and he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, we should uh, definitely hang out more. Um, and got to talking some more, moved the conversation to the kitchen, and he goes, hey. Uh, we're thinking about uh, that you should move out here to Vegas and that uh, if you want to, uh, you should move in here with us because, you know, there's like two extra bedrooms. And I remember just standing there in the kitchen and looking out the glass door and seeing the mountains. And I'm just like, yes, you know, like I, at that point, again, that was like 2015 um, or was it 2016? No, it was 20. No shit. It was 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Have I been out here six years? Jesus. All right. Uh, time zones, man, again, time zones, <laughs> years, whatever, man, we're, we're screwing it all up today. And, uh, and I go, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, that sounds good. You know, again, I, I did everything I could in Texas and I was kind of almost plateaued in Texas. And I go, this is what I need. I need to get out of my home scene, go to, you know, fertile grounds out West, so to speak. And, uh, in September of, uh, 2015, that's when I moved in with Jake and packed up a U-Haul, brought a bunch of my video games and other shit out here and, uh, haven't, haven't looked back since. So, well, well Jake has since left Las Vegas, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, um, I, I don't know if he's like in Atlanta still. I, I hear different things. Cause honestly, I haven't talked to Jake in probably over two, three years. 
Uh, I talked to his um, uh, his daughter every once in a while because she still manages and works with um, other Hall of Fame wrestlers and putting shows together. And uh, recently, uh, as recent as May, I was working with uh, her and Medusa on uh, putting some projects together of where I would kind of help Medusa um, put some funny stories together and, and things like that. So, but being on the road with Jake was great. Cause after we kind of built up that trust and that, you know, after he saw me kill, like I did, then he kind of like started listening to me when it came to comedy. Cause he's like, all right, this kid knows his shit. And so, um, I think you saw us when we we're probably like a year in and yeah. he would watch, he would watch every one of my sets. So I was his like comedy exposure. That's all he watched or my sets. And then he'd watch other locals from other places we were at. And he was like, wow, I'm really lucky to have a guy like this, you know? And with my experience of producing shows, we could go in these bum fuck bars in the middle of nowhere and be like, Hey, no, this is how you arrange the chairs. We want white lighting, no gels, you know, no blender drinks, waitresses, you know, keep your voices low. I want all the TVs off. Like I had the wherewithal, from again, working in all these different venues and producing smaller comedy shows that this is how we make the best experience possible. And then every, anytime a manager or something, I could be bad guy basically. And just be like, no, this is how we make it a great experience. You want people to come back? Well, we want people to have, you know, this is the important thing that's here tonight. Once the show is over, turn on all the fucking TVs, let them play pool. They can do all that shit. But while Jake the Snake, you will respect the, sh- you know, you right. will respect the show. And then because <laughs> the point is, you want it to be a good show so that people come back to the venue. Yeah, you know, and they're and like, it's a okay, whole experience. Yeah, we get it. You know, comedy's a whole experience. You when you go yeah. to see a comedy show, everything has to be in the comedy zone. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just has yeah. to be. You know, that's why I like low ceilings, intimate spaces, low lighting. Um, having it be kind of cool, you know, in a cooler room, not really a hot room. Uh, all that stuff helps, you know, you don't want to see your neighbors too much. You want it to be pretty dark. Cause you don't want to feel guilty for, Oh my God, I can't believe I laughed at that. You know, whereas like if everything was lit up, then you're like, Oh, I see. That's my dentist over there. And he laughed at that joke. Oh, what a piece of, you know, <laughs> right. So <laughs> certain things work better for comedy than, other performance stuff. So. And you don't think about that unless you've been doing shows for a long time. You know, you've, exactly, you've discovered exactly. those things as you go. And once you've got them all, it was the perfect pairing to have you go yeah. around and set that stuff up. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. And then, uh, you know, there, there'd be things where I would tell them, Oh, put this word here or have this part at the end of this, because there's the reveal. That's the joke. And, and, you know, at first when we started working together, I would say something funny and he's like, Oh, that's good. I was like, no, use that. He goes, yeah, but you wrote it. I go fucking, we're here to sell your show. Like take the, you know, I, I'm the one that did the, <laughs> I did a, uh, cause we'd be in the car and I would do Jake versus Jake. And, uh, so I'd just be like, you guys want to hear a Ric Flair story? And then, you know, he would get annoyed cause he hates Flair. And I go, yeah, Ric Flair is a piece of shit. End of story. 
And he like lost his shit. He was laughing. And I go, yeah, you should do that on stage. And he goes, no, man, that you do it. That's your thing. And I go, I'm not Jake the snake. Like <laughs> you, can't, you, you can't even use it. It's, it's something. Yeah. You're not gonna and use. then he would use it and it would, and then he used it that first night and he kind of looked at me and it killed, of course. And he looked at me and I was like, you know, like, see, like, what the fuck? Um, so I think from him, like watching me constantly, he kind of picked up on some of my, I want to say there's definitely like a blueprint of kind of some of my style on, uh, some of the delivery. Cause again, we'd be around each other so much. And of course I learned a lot from him as well. And so if there's anything I'm kind of like bitter or sour about, it's just like, oh, it would have been cool to get a shout out on Rogan, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time that I watched that show, I will say the one story that stood out to me as the best thing that he told was when he told the story of Mr. Fuji cooking the Valiant's dog and feeding oh, yeah. it to them. Uh, that was a, it's a re- supposedly it's a real thing that happened that yeah. Mr. Fuji actually captured these guys dog and cooked it and fed it to them because they had ribbed him over something simple. Yeah, that's a uh, <laughs> um imagine being that petty. I don't <laughs> I, Yeah, really. And, you know, and when they people talk about dark side of the ring, there is a lot of really dark shit that comes out of professional wrestling. You yeah. Would, you would not oh, believe yeah, there's so many stories I've heard from from Jake and, you know, even I don't want to be a super name dropper guy, but, you know, like guys like Raven and uh, to a certain extent Medusa, too, of like you hear some of these stories that, you know, you've heard alluded to, but then to hear it from people that were actually there or that know the person where, where it happened to. And you're like, oh, OK, yikes. Yeah, it, there's a uh, lot of those moments when you talk about those stories. So you you actually did some shows with Rob Van Dam as well, didn't you? Yeah, recently over the summer, I got to uh, uh, work with him. Uh, I've met him like once or twice when I was working the circuit with Jake. You know, we'd go to like conventions or something. Um, but yeah, I got to share the stage with him. He's a super cool guy. His comedy has definitely come a long way because I the first time I saw him, when I first moved here in Vegas was, uh, it was a little rough. Cause I, you know, again, I was touring with Jake and as a wrestling Mark, as a wrestling fan, if I pay money to watch a wrestler on stage, I want it to be under the guise of like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to talk about wrestling stuff. I'm going to talk about road stories. I'm going to talk about what happened and not, you know, whereas like, I think at that point, Mick Foley been doing it for a while and the word got out. It's like, Oh, he's doing bits. Like, I really don't give a shit what Mick Foley has to say about, you know, Hillary Clinton. Do not care. I want to hear about hell in the cell. I want to hear about what happened in Japan. I want to hear about, I want to hear some Terry Funk stories, ECW as a fan. That's what I want to hear. And then, you know, Rob Van Dam early on would do like bits and stuff. And I'm like, Oh man, I don't, I don't really want to listen to somebody with a bunch of concussions, fumble their way through some open mic bullshit. Uh, but now after, you know, a couple of years and, and working with him and, and seeing what he's done now, it's, it's great. You know, he's, he's doing bits about himself and then he does some stories and stuff at the end that are just fantastic. And, uh, and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm lucky enough where, and a lot of the venues that I've worked at in Vegas and otherwise, they're like, Oh, Hey, we got some wrestlers on the show. Do you want to do the show? Cause that's what I'm kind of like known for. Well, one of the things. And I'm, I'm go, yeah, I'd love to be on the show. And then I kind of meet and network with more wrestlers. And, um, 
you know, help them out and uh, kind of work with them. And they're like, oh, yeah, I've heard of you from here and um, things like that. So tell me about your experience with Metal Gamer. There was a movie that you were a part of. (laughs) What what was uh, what was that about? Uh, so it's about a, uh, metal musician that turns professional gamer and I'm, I'm in the movie for maybe 10 seconds. Uh, so it was, I, it, I think there were like three actors on the whole thing and the rest was a lot of like stand up comics and, uh, you know, the guy who, who made it Stephen farmer, shout out to him. Uh, he was like, Hey, uh, you want to, you know, we got a role for you in the movie if you want to come out for a day and shoot. And I was like, absolutely. And so and I basically just play like angry roommate. And uh, from what I've told, <laughs> you know what? The, there's some old cheesy hack bullshit adage of like, there's there's no small parts, only small performances or whatever, you know, uh, no such thing as a small part. You know, because it's about the performance. And um, so I guess in that scene, I'm kind of pretty intense and might have stolen it. Uh, <laughs> you might have so stolen your it 10 was seconds. available on Amazon. I don't know where you can watch it now, but so it's like there's one of my IMDb credits. And then, but I've also been on a couple like reality TV show pilots that have never made it. I've been on, I filmed all kinds of stuff. I, I did some for, we thought it was going to be on Hulu. It was like basically a, uh, a series advertising downtown Vegas, like Fremont, not the strip. And then I don't know if that's going to be put out. Hopefully we'll see. Um, then I'm, I got something else on Amazon where uh, it was like a, a pilot for inside the Vegas comedy scene, you know, where it shows like open mics and bar shows. And then I was the guy that was like transitioning from, <laughs> well, not that type from like working off the strip bar stuff, still doing out of town stuff. And then, Oh look, I'm working on the strip now and I'm kind of moving my way up to oh look, I'm on the on the billboard on the casino thing, you know. So um did that kind of stuff and then uh you know, got some other fire uh you know, uh irons in the fire and uh and but I, I gotta get back on this grind here. COVID's kind of like been a huge just kick in the balls to everybody in my industry. Right. And just kind of like recovering from that is has been um, you know, like I, I almost have to relearn those muscles of like, oh yeah, let me go hit up bookers, you know, instead of just like, Hey, if I just hang out, they'll ask me for stuff. No, you got to go out there and chase those leads. You know? Now we were talking about metal gamer, which is of course about uh, being a gamer and you yourself are a gamer and oh, yeah. you have your own Twitch. And I, I'm assuming that Twitch has been a good form of, of a way for you to get through COVID and get through Absolutely. the pandemic. So, Absolutely. So tell me about um, your Twitch channel. So uh, <laughs> I, it's a lot of just chatting, but I also love video games. You know, throughout my life, uh, before I, I left Texas to come here, uh, at one point I had like 16 systems and over 500 games, but I had to leave a lot of that stuff behind because I just didn't have room for it. Uh, but now, thanks to <laughs> thanks to unemployment and COVID, uh, I've been able to kind of upgrade all my equipment and. Um, lucky enough to have a PS five and an Xbox series X. And, uh, I play some video games on there and I do some just chatting. I have fun with my, with my fans and my friends on there. One of the gimmicks that I do on my show on Twitch is that you can tip me money. And based on the dollar amount, I'll eat a hot pepper, uh, a raw hot pepper. So, you know, it could be a thing of, you know, we're just talking about, Oh, Hey, the new episode of Loki or Hey, 
the the new movie or hey this wrestling thing happened and then somebody's like oh hey check your paypal and i'm like oh shit so i go and get a jalapeno we put it on the caliente cam and where it has like flames and all kinds of stuff and then i almost do like a mukbang and look in the camera and eat this hot pepper and then deal with it and then go back to what i was saying or playing a video game the my the sadistic ones are the ones that wait till i'm playing a boss you know, either in like uh, Street Fighter Five, or or if I'm getting frustrated with an opponent, um, then they're like, "Oh, hey, by the way, we sent you twenty bucks. Eat a jalapeno." And so, not only am I getting frustrated and pissed off at the game, but now I have to eat the pe- the pepper and deal with the heat. And sometimes there's been times where it has, it's helped me focus and zen. I'm just like, Grr! you know, and then I beat it. I'm like, what the hell? What happened? And um, so. That's one of the gimmicks of what I do on there. And then I have, uh, you know, I've, I've done stuff where on my birthday, we did like birthday chops where my buddy and I, if you donated or if you tipped an odd amount, I would hit my buddy. I would give my buddy a chop. And if you tipped an even amount, he would give me a chop. <laughs> ah, trading chops. <laughs> yeah. So we, we would do that. Oh, speaking of chops, I got a lot from Jake. Um, and I got a good one about, I got a good story about one of those. Uh, but yeah, I love video games. I love, uh, I, I especially have a deep passion for fighting games. I'm terrible at them, but I love fighting games and I'm trying to get better. And since I've been out here in Vegas, I've actually met two or three professional, um, street fighters slash, you know, tech in blah, 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 just fighting game, professional fighting game players and uh, been able to like hang out with them. And, and they love the whole thing of like, Oh my God, you're a comedian. I love comedy. And I'm just like, Oh oh my God, I'm talking to the Charles Barkley of street fighter four right now. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize there was a Charles Barkley of street fighter four. So there's, there's like the Michael Jordan, but that guy's in Japan. So we got some ones that are up there, you know, that are so it's very like, a, okay. like a legit league. Yeah. It's um, if you're into fighting games, there's a, the, the big promotion every year is called Evo uh, evolution uh, championship uh, fighting. And uh, they have a big convention in Vegas every year. They have been able to do it the last two years because of COVID and some other scandals and whatnot. Um, but basically anybody that's anybody, if you're, you know, if you go to tournaments, make money, from playing competitive fighting games, anything from like, you know, Smash Brothers, Street Fighter, Tekken, Mortal Kombat. Um, what else? It, uh, ah, damn it. What's the uh, the one with the DC characters? Uh, DC Universe. Injustice. Yeah, Injustice. Injustice. There you go. Injustice. Like any, all those fighting games, they have the big tournament in Vegas every year. And then you try to win Evo, which is like the Super Bowl of fighting games, of competitive uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, always been a fan of fighting games and I love that. Uh, I also love, you know, racing games and puzzle games and I'm, I'm kind of variety streamer. So I'll play ratchet and clank one day and then play street fighter the next day. And then, uh, um, I'm working on a show right now cause I'm going to move in about six weeks. So, uh, once I move, um, I'm going to launch a show called dumb Mystic violence and it's where I'm going to have comedians come over and we're going to play fighting games. Nice. And uh, we're, you know, we're going to make it fun and do jokes and, and where it's like, cause nobody's going to want to watch me like just beat people up the whole time. We want to make it fun and get them to learn about, you know, the game too. And then see what kind of uh, things they have on there. So I, I probably have in my collection between my systems I don't know, probably 30, 30 to 40 fighting games. Um, some weird ones that you could download and find for cheap. And then 
some obscure stuff too. Um, but yeah, I just love playing video games and, and, and Twitch has been great of like scratching that itch of being able to perform, you know, cause when COVID first hit and I wasn't able to, to get on stage, to get out, meet and mingle with people, that was devastating to me. And that took a lot from me because I'm a very social person. I love to be around people and, and, you know, uh, you know, hugs and make people laugh and, and be in those situations. And then you take that all away from me at the drop of a hat. And then of just being in my room pretty much 23 hours a day and feeling isolated. And, you know, Twitch was, was kind of there for me of like, Oh, I can kind of be myself and still keep it safe, especially during lockdown and everything else. Um, I, I kind of like if performing on stage in Vegas in front of a sold out crowd is like a Wagyu steak, then uh, doing Twitch is like doing an impossible Whopper. Like it's, it's decent, <laughs> but it's not the, same, not the same, but it's better than nothing, you know? All right. So I got some quick questions for yes, you. Sir. One is video game, favorite video game of all time. Tetris. I, I call Tetris my, my desert Island game. So if I'm stuck on an island with a magic Game Boy that has a solar battery that'll last forever, I, I can play Tetris all day, every day. Uh, but I've, you know, <laughs> the one I get ridiculed a lot for for playing a lot of is Animal Crossing. <laughs> They're like, come on, dude, you're playing that kid's game. And I go, I like it. It's soothing. <laughs> oh, look, you suck a dick. What's that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what is like? Say? Oh, why aren't you playing Doom? And you know, they think I play all this brutal stuff, and I still do play like Doom and Mortal Kombat, Quake, whatever. But I like a good palate cleanser, and then play some like Fall Guys or or Pokemon, you know. But of all time, Tetris. Tetris. Okay. So another question I have: three comedians that influenced your comedy career. All right, uh, George Carlin. Awesome. I That's my favorite way. of all time. Yeah. Uh, I love the way he looks at language to watching Carlin play with language is it's almost, I always relate it to like uh, Legos. It's like, you can do anything you want to with Legos, build them up. However intricate or simple you want it to be. Um, always loved Carlin for how smart. And again, how he plays with language and marketing and things like that. Uh, Sam Kinison, another big influence. Uh, Great just with his vocal delivery highs and lows, the son of a preacher. I'm the son of a salesman. So it's like, I know how to talk to people. I know how to get people to like me to spend money, you know? Um, and just watching, he, he was like, he was really the first like rock and roll comedian. Yeah. Like he would do arenas and then dice would kind of, you know, kind of do the same thing too. Um, so yeah, Carlin Kinnison. And then of course, Ralphie may, I remember the first time I saw Ralphie may, in middle school, it was on BET Comic View. And I went to a pretty mixed middle school. It was like one-third Hispanic, one-third black, one-third white. And then when I saw Ralphie May, this big, fat, white dude killing it, just like murdering on Comic View in front of all these black people, I'm like, that guy looks like me, and he's doing what I do at school. It's just make everybody laugh, and it just blew my mind. I've always been a fan and uh, been lucky enough to, to work with him a couple times. And, um, you know, RIP Ralphie, you know, miss him. Good guy. Yeah. So that, so you did get a chance to actually meet Ralphie. I mean, of course you didn't meet no. Sam Kinison or George Carlin. Right, uh, I mean, yeah. we, we know that unfortunately there was no opportunity for that, yeah. but, but you did actually get to meet Ralphie May. Yeah. Yeah. I got to, um, let's see. Uh, first time I met him, I was, uh, I'd work as a door guy at the, uh, comedy club and I didn't work at the point 
at that point I was already a comedian. I already won the contest, blah, blah, blah. But for bigger shows, I would help out at the door because you know, they're going to pay me to work the door. And at the time I was selling weed and the whole thing is like, if the waitresses are making money, they're going to want to smoke some weed. Guess who's the weed man. Boom. Then I'd make extra money on top of being there on the clock. Um, and then, uh, so he sees me and he goes, he goes, give me your info. I got some clothes that'll fit you. And I go, okay, cool. You know, awesome. Uh, and then when he came back to San Antonio, him and his crew, they, they got hung up at dinner and they're like, uh, they told the manager, oh yeah, can you push the show 30 minutes? Uh, we'll be there. And the manager is this English guy and he's like, oh, we don't do that. And then, uh, so he comes up to me, I'm working the door and he goes, um, Alex, do you want to go on stage tonight? And I'm looking at the sold out room of 400 people and I go, uh huh. And I go in the green room. I wash my face. I almost, it's almost like the first, the opening scene of eight mile of where he's like splashing water, you know, and just mom's like, spaghetti on your shirt. They're chanting. Yeah. They're <laughs> chanting Ralphie's name. Right. And then here I am. Like I put on my Kool-Aid shirt. I called my sister and I was like, I'm going to open for Ralphie may it's a sold out crowd. I just found out. And she's like, okay, well, Hey, good luck. You know, go kill it. I ended up doing like 28 minutes. You know, they're like, just keep going until we bring you a note and I go, okay. So I didn't know how long I was going to do. I didn't know. Okay. How much material do I do before I close on my strong stuff? Uh So I just went for it and just like, boom, this hit, boom, that hit, bam, 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 bam. I get a note and I bring up the next act, um, Corey and Chad, the smash brothers. And, uh, and then they bring up Ralphie and Ralphie was like, did you guys see bizarro me? You know? And, <laughs> and really one of the, the reasons why I grew out my hair, cause I, there you go. You can't really tell cause it's in a man bun. Um, but one of the big reasons why I grew out my hair is cause there, everybody was like, Oh yeah, you remind me of Ralphie. You're like Ralphie. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but let me do something different. Let me grow out the hair. And then it's like, Oh, now you look like the mom from here's honey boo boo. Damn it. You know? Uh, <laughs> um, so, and then that night, that good, man. yeah, that <laughs> night, my, my Facebook was blown up my fan page. I got all these new likes and all these people were looking me up after the show and people were going to the comedy club thing and they were complaining about Ralphie cause he was too high. Uh, from edibles and shit that he just kind of like sat there and just, you know, and they're like, <laughs> Oh my God, the first guy was so much better. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, I don't want him to see this. Like, are you, are you people crazy? Like, shut up. <laughs> like, Ooh. Um, I doubt he had time to, you know, check any of that horseshit. But like I said, you know, I had a good set. And I was like, ah! uh, and then I got to hang out with him in Vegas a couple times. So I, years would go by from when I worked with him in San Antonio and then uh, I saw him in Vegas in a green room of a comedy show. And he saw me, and then again, years later, and he goes, oh, hey, what's up, Alex? And I'm like, oh, my God, he remembered my name. And then uh, I go, hey, what's up, Ralphie? And he goes, hey, man, so-and-so's been telling me you're touring and living with Jake the Snake Roberts. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, sit down. I want to hear everything about this. And to me, that just blew my mind. Like here, because he was obviously like the big dog in the green room. Right. You know, like he was, it's like, holy shit, Ralphie's, you know, like a legit rock star. And then he didn't get, he was so humble and so fucking cool. Remembered my name and just went, I don't give a shit about him. You know, I, yeah, yeah, whatever. You Cause he's a huge wrestling mark too. <laughs> Tell me about Jake the snake. And I'm just like, 
okay, shucks, mister, you know? Um, and that, that made me feel great. And then, uh, you know, when, when he, when he did pass and we're coming up on the anniversary, I think pretty soon, cause it's early October. Um, you know, when that happened, I was like, Oh, great. Now a lot of people are going to check in with me and they're like, Hey, you, you okay. You're taking care of your someone. <laughs> you were on the path to losing some weight. When I, when I had met you in 2016, are you still, are you still trying to, uh, to lose weight? Are you try, trying to, I'm, I was just trying to like live healthier, you know, uh, the pandemic really hasn't helped. And, uh, you know, there's just so many unnecessary calories and booze, <laughs> but yeah, when I first started working with Jake, uh, I was doing DDP yoga. I was juicing. I was eating healthy six days a week and then I'd have a cheat day. And actually, uh, in 2015, 2016 ish, uh, when I first started doing all that, I lost a hundred pounds in a hundred days. Wow. And when I told Jake that he goes, uh, yeah, it's time for you to meet Dallas. And so the weekend that I took my U-Haul from San Antonio to Vegas, I left Friday night, got there Saturday night, Sunday morning, unloaded the U-Haul, slept for a couple hours, and I flew from Vegas to Atlanta on a red eye to then meet Diamond Dallas Page. And I actually got to hang out and sleep in the house that they filmed the resurrection in. Uh, I got a one-on-one consultation of DDP yoga from DDP. And he was like, he goes, for a big guy, you got a lot of flexibility. Did you play football? Did you? I was like, I mean, I'd play with my friends and stuff, but he's like, you have an athlete's body. And I was like, I was like, don't fucking hustle me. I know what you're doing. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'll sign up for your cult. (laughs) So so how long did you do that for? Um, Pretty much the whole time, like I, I um, lived and worked with uh, Jake. You know, towards the end, um, what it, what is it? Uh, ah, shit. Uh, familiarity breeds contempt, or whatever. It's like when you hang out with somebody too much, you're like, whoa. Um, so towards the end, we're like, oh, <laughs> he was like, hey, I think you should move in with this other guy, and I go, yeah, I should. <laughs> and we were just kind of like both stressing each other out and whatnot because. You know, I'm not, and again, I'm not trying to bury him or talk shit, but you know, you'd be on the road so much. And I don't know, I think he sleeps like four hours a day. And I'm like, I need more than that. And he would like chain smoke in the hotel with lawn order blaring. You know what I mean? And I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm trying to sleep. I'm the one doing all the driving. I'm the one talking to the venue owners. I'm the one booking everything, you know, like booking the hotel, talking to these people. And, and, you know, you're like, you know, Oh, what do you want to eat? Okay. Let me go find the best place that has that. And then drive over, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. You're the the runner. You are the runner. Right. For, for a lot of those shows and, uh, of like, okay. Oh, Hey, (laughs) Oh, it's this time in this time zone. This radio station is going to call you and, you know, things like that. And then (laughs) you just be like, so it it would get kind of stressful and it'd be one of those things where if we're home too long, then it's like, we've been home too much. Let's get back on the road. And then four or five days after being on the road, it's like, Oh, let's go home. This sucks. (laughs) But really I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it back for anything. Uh, it's a great growing experience and um, uh, it's, it's, you know, part of paying your dues of, of getting across the country. And the one thing that I discovered that made me feel more confident about leaving Texas was, you know, I'd go to all these different places of New York, Chicago, Canada, Seattle, LA. I was performing in all these places and everything that I 
did in Texas was doing great everywhere. And I was like, okay. Cause I was worried about like in Canada, do they know what queso is? You know, like that's a legit fear that I had. That's a legit you know? question. Yeah. Cause it's like, yo, do they know about Mexican cheese? You know, like for real. And then of course at outside the hotel I was staying at in Winnipeg, um, they had an ad for Qdoba burrito and it literally said queso, queso, queso with three different flavors of queso. And I went, okay, this joke will kill, you know, okay. They know what queso is out here, blah, blah, blah. Um, so <laughs> it wasn't like, Oh, let me convert everything to, to the metric system. <laughs> All my references to the metric. <laughs> yeah. I'm about two meters tall, you know, uh, <laughs> I weigh four stone. Yeah, exactly. Oh, gross. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, so it, you know, cause I'd, I'd go to New York and, um, again, would get like applause breaks and, and they love my aggressive style of kind of comedy. Um, and it's, if you look at both coasts, they both have a distinct style of comedy. California is more like performing. Hey, let me show you my versatility. I can do impressions. I can, I can sing. I could do this. I could do that. Whereas in New York, everything is kind of attitude and, and joke and written. Cause a lot of times you're cramped little places. You can't do big grandiose things and you have to be able to communicate your idea ideas very effectively. And my home club in San Antonio used a lot of East coast people. They were an East coast booker. And so from watching all these East coast comics, a lot of that made that imprint on my style of like, all right, you know, joke, tag, tag, tag of you have your, your setup, your punchline, and then the tag. Okay. What's something else you can add to everything on there. Whereas, you know, you get people from the West coast and it's like, Oh, here's an impression. Oh, what if these two characters were doing this or, Hey, look at me and my guitar. And it's like, not saying that, you know, one's better than the other, but, uh, you know, I was just, I was always more influenced by that kind of like East coast style. And so when I finally get to New York and they're like, Oh my God, you, you're like a comic from out here. Like you're from Texas. Like usually when you hear a comic from Texas, it's all, oh, shucks, bum fuck y'all. Oh my God. I'm a barrel racing shit kicker. Hell, I'm a <laughs> son of a gun. You know, they right. think of like, you know, fucking Jeff Foxworthy, Ron White, you know, like, but I'm coming up there and I'm talking about having a, a German mom with a thick accent and a gay dad and, you know, like all this crazy. I have this nickname Kool-Aid and, you know, this and that. Uh, here's how fucking fat I am. Because really in New York City, you don't see a lot of, like, people my size. Because New York's mobile. You know, you got to be able to, like, walk around and get to all these tight places and all this shit. And there's no way you could be my size in New York unless you're super rich and get taken everywhere. But out here in Vegas, I just look like another tourist. I just, especially when I shave, I look like a mom from Wisconsin. <laughs> the segment that I'm about to play to end this interview is actually your your joke on your your father coming out to you at 64 years old. Yeah. What's that? That's a pretty interesting experience. Yeah. Um, I think part of that helps lend to how I can get away with certain things. <laughs> Cause I, I, I do, I've been called like fun racist, which really my comedy is like racial, but it's not racist. Cause it's not coming from a place of hate, you know? So when I do, you know, when I do say something, 
oh my god, misogynistic or or xenophobic or transphobic, this and that. I can be like, hey, uh, shut up. You know, first of all, my mom was an immigrant and my dad's gay. Suck my dick. I can say this shit. You know, like like you I have a pass. Like, well, first of all, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was gnarly, man. My dad came out at sixty four, and like I think I do it in the bit, but legit the first thing i said to my dad was like does this mean you're no longer a republican and when i first said that to him he kind of like did one of these of like kind of okay this is alex processing with it this is what he does it's a coping mechanism defense mechanism okay he's making a joke about it and it's just like ah you know you know it was it was kind of shocking that he revealed it and then told me and then you know it took me a couple days but then really at the end of it i was just like I just want my dad to be happy and I don't give a shit, you know, at the end of the day. And I'm sure it was tough for him to like tell his son, you know, like, Oh, Hey, by the way, I'm into dudes. So is he still a Republican? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, uh, he's, he's no longer with us with us. So he actually, um, I found out he passed away. Like, uh, like right when, when COVID and everything was hitting, I don't think it was related. I think, uh, so March 3rd of last year, uh, that's when I got news that my, my dad had passed oh, and then a week after we were in lockdown. Wow. And so it was, uh, yeah, March was a uh, pretty shitty last year. <laughs> For sure. I, I had no idea that he had even passed. I'm sorry to hear yeah. that. So, did, so, but still, did he, did he, did he stay a Republican? Yeah. Right. I, uh, that's a good question. You know, like, uh, you don't have the answer to that question. <laughs> I think he did for, 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 you know, cause again, he's still an old white dude from Texas. So I'm sure fiscally a Republican, but socially very, uh, democratic. So, <laughs> so we are going to set up this, uh, this piece. I want you guys to hear this piece and, and thank you so much, Alex, for being with me today and sharing Absolutely. your story and your experiences. You've had an incredible life and, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot more experiences. You're going to have to come check back in with us sometime soon. Cause from what I understand, Absolutely. let me know from what I understand, Las Vegas is going to be a pretty permanent thing for you very soon. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm actually just going to move to another spot here in Vegas. And, uh, I, you know, I love the scene. We got a lot of talented people that have moved here and uh, iron sharpens iron so you know with with better comics coming here we're just going to get better as a whole scene and then i'm of course you know getting out there so i got shows coming up in colorado utah california and run in texas and uh booking some weird stuff too i'm going to be at a uh uh what is it a police homicide investigator convention wow that's and, a weird and, gig uh, and then Yay. hopefully with, yeah, I'm like, all right, I get to hang out with cops. They love me. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm like, Hey, what's up? You donut jugglers, you know? Um, and then uh, hopefully, but uh, one of the things I'm very passionate about, and I think you might be able to see it right over my shoulder, um, and like a power Rangers looking logo. Mm-hmm. It's for a show called Nerdcore comedy. And that's a show I do with my buddy, Mike Suarez, we used to do it at conventions all over Texas and the Southwest. And hopefully with, you know, some of the restrictions and everybody getting vaxxed and whatnot, we can do conventions again and perform nerdcore comedy, which kind of lets me do all the jokes about comic book stuff and game of Thrones and star Trek, star Wars, all the stuff I can't really do for a nightclub audience on the strip. You know, I, I got 20 minutes on Ninja turtles, but I'm not going to tell that to a 6 PM um, <laughs> you know, right. Uh, magic show from people from Iowa and, you know, the heartland and whatnot. <laughs> so, uh, hopefully I can do some of that and then, um, you know, kind of grow more on my, on my Twitch and do some, some stuff on there. And of course, just, 
I miss traveling. I miss getting out there. I just got a new van. Uh, the good people at Steve's PC repair, my buddy, Steve, that I went to high school with gifted me a 2007 Toyota Sienna and he wrapped it with his logo on one side and then my logo and social media on the other side. And we were calling it the cuddle shuttle. And um, I mean this, cause I was without a car for eight years and this son of a bitch just straight up gave me a van and it, uh, he he was, he was supposed to bring it to me, uh, again, last March or March a year ago. Uh, but then COVID hit cause he was just going to drive the van to Vegas and surprise me with it from San Antonio. And, uh, but this last July I was in, I was in Texas to do some shows and I wanted to hang out with my buddy, Steve. He's always been very supportive of my comedy, always stayed in touch. And he goes, come by the shop, come by the shop, come by the shop. And I was fine. Came by the shop, pull up when we see this van and it has his, has his logo on one side. I go, that's hilarious. That's so cool. He goes from, he goes from house to house, fixing computers and his advertising and stuff. So I get out of the car, I walk around the van and my logo was on it. My social media stuff is on it. There's a Las Vegas logo on it. And I start laughing and I go, dude, you're advertising for me. You're such a dork. Like, I love you, dude. I hug him. And he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, this is, you know, this is for you. And I go, yeah, yeah, that's my info. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, no, 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 this is yours. We're I'm giving you this van. And I'm like, wait, what? And then of course I started crying, choking up, gave him a big hug. I'm like, this van is for me. You know, and of course uh, I was supposed to fly out that night and, uh, man, that day was rough because it was also the anniversary of my mother's passing. My buddy gives me a van later that night. My flight to Vegas was canceled. And I'm like, this is a sign from mama Ansel. Uh, Hey, take the van to Vegas. So, and I was there with another comic, a former roommate of mine, Adam Dominguez. We we're both flying from San Antonio to Vegas. Cause we did shows together. And uh, I go, Hey man, flight's been canceled. You want to take the van to San Antonio <laughs> or to, to Vegas? I think this is a sign. And Adam, to his credit, he's always like, yo, I'm down for adventure. Let's do it. And so we took this van that, again, 2007, over 200,000 miles. My buddy's like, I got it checked out. Like, the tires are new. You know, I'm like, okay, fuck it, you know. And we we didn't have any problems with it. Like, it just it ran great. Uh, I do have to get the um, the uh, one of the temperature gauges checked out on it, but the thing runs amazing. It's got my logos and shit. It's so ridiculous, you know, that I have a van that has, that's a good friend right there for sure. That's an amazing friend. So if you have any computer repair issues, check out Steve's PC repair. So we are going to check this bit out that you, uh, that you performed and we will be back here on the Brian Reznor experiment here in just a little bit. Where did this take place at? Uh, if it's, is it the one with the pink logo on YouTube? Yeah, that's, Oh, that was from the Jimmy Kimmel comedy club. Uh, at the Link Casino, and hopefully that place will uh, open back up. So I headlined a show there. It was like a um, a midnight showcase on a Saturday, and that was super fun because it's an amazing club, great stage. Uh, the staff there is amazing, and we had a lot of people having a great time at that show and brought on some amazing friends. So, yeah, at the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club. Now, real quick, how do we find you on YouTube? Uh, Y2 Kool-Aid. Y2 Kool-Aid is all my social media. Uh, so the letter Y, the number two, and then Kool-Aid, K-O-O-L-A-I-D. And that's to find me on Twitch, Instagram, Twitter. Um, let's see, uh, Snapchat. I'm, I don't even use Snapchat. My favorite thing to use, though, right now 
is uh, Instagram stories, really. Instagram, Instagram stories. That's like my favorite platform. And then uh, I do want to get more stuff out on YouTube. And uh, especially with these daily shows that I've been doing, just trying to get out little clips out here and there. And I, I got a couple doozies coming out pretty soon. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And now we are going to listen to Alex live. Check this out on the Brian Reznor experiment. We'll be right back. You know how parents are like, when they get serious with you, they're like, Alex, I got to talk to you. Right? I'm like, oh shit. Right? So that's when he told me my mom was sick, had a brain tumor. I was like, okay. Right? And so 10 years after that, my dad pulls me aside again. And he's 64 at the time. He goes, Alex, I got to talk to you. I'm like, oh shit. I'm having flashbacks of last time. I was like, Dad, we're going to get you the best doctors. We're going to get you the best hospitals, the best treatment. He's like, what are you talking about? I go, you're not sick. What's up? He's like, oh, oh, no, no. I can see why you think, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I was like, oh, thank God. I'm like, what's up? And he goes, oh, uh, I've come to realize that I'm gay. (laughs) Yeah, my dad came out of the closet at 64 years old. Holy shit. Lemon 
ladies and gentlemen, we are back here on the Brian Reznor Experiment, and it is time to have a panel discussion. And this week, we are discussing my body, my choice. And that can mean a lot of things. Today, we're talking about vaccine mandates, mask mandates, and abortion, because they're all in the news, and they're all hot topics. I have brought Stephen Barker back and Chris Cook back. Also, I'm here with my co-host, Nick Ledford, and a brand new member of the panel, Andrew Wheeler, a professor and he is here to talk about this as well. So, gentlemen, I will I will start with you, Stephen Barker. And I can. You already you're already ready to say stuff. Go ahead. I tell was going to say I could make this the shortest panel in the brief but fantastic history of the Brian Reznor experiment. Oh, okay. This this is my body. I own this meat. This is your body. You own that meat. You can put anything in your body that you want to. You cannot put anything in your body that you want to. You can take anything out of your body that you want to, and you cannot take anything out of your body that you want to. It is that simple. It is my body, my choice. Thanks for coming. Tip your bartenders. And be sure to, to, to be careful on your way home. Started this. It's so simple. How can, you, how, can you, how can you argue against this is my body? I own all of this. It's the one thing that I own. And you can't tell me. And remember, I am vaccinated, but I will not be getting a booster. I can put anything in this Wait thing to I want to. I, want, I can put anything in here that I want to. And I cannot put anything in here that I want to. Joe Biden has done a great service to every liberty-minded person out there because he was supposed to be the great unifier. And there is nothing more unifying than saying that I am declaring war on the employment of 80 million people. Well, okay, so declaring war on the employment, we also have a negative test thing in there. So there is a way out from doing it. If you don't want to get the vaccine, you can provide a negative test every week. And really, when it comes down to companies, I'm thinking, if you're a company, do you even really have much of a choice at this point? If your employees are non-vaccinated and COVID comes through your office, you are laying people out. I mean, whether they die or they just go out for two weeks, you're still losing production and you may have to bury people that you are employing. I've I seen, seen a libertarian. And speaking, you know, since I've got two libertarians on the panel, I seen a libertarian post on Facebook the other day. It says, if you own a business with barely over a hundred people and need to get under a hundred, fire the vaccinated. After all, they can get a job anywhere. <laughs> and to me, I was sitting there thinking, okay, as a company, you're going to like, okay, well, I'm going to take my most responsible employees and I'm going to fire those employees. And then I'm going to count on my business running smooth with a bunch of unvaccinated people where COVID could come through my office, kill some of my people, put some of my people out and shut my entire company down. As a business owner, that doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Now, Andrew Wheeler, I brought you on this show because I want you to tell me where I'm wrong where what I said right now, because you always tell me I'm, I'm I'm wrong in a really good way that explains exactly why I'm wrong. So tell me exactly why I'm wrong if I was a business owner in this position and I am and I'm going to fire somebody. Why would I fire the vaccinated? I don't know. I don't know. And am I wrong um, to think that I sh that everyone at my company should be vaccinated if I want to keep producing whatever it is that I'm producing? I think the important piece here is that the choice is yours as the business owner to make. Okay. 
That's a pretty libertarian position. Okay, yeah, so so how is Joe an LLC? Then, <laughs> and, and, and the and the libertarian position is also the government cannot come in and tell you who you can and can't employ. Yeah. Well, I, I understand that. And as Joe Biden left that open ended and said that vaccine mandate means that you either have to be vaccinated or you have to come with a negative test every week. How is that a problem? Well, I can tell you it's not a problem for the stockholders of said pharmacological companies because they get them coming and going because they are forcing you to get a vaccine that is made by the same pharmacological company. And who do you think makes the tests? So we got them coming and going. You know, that's not free market. That is a free market that is being uh, fucked with from the outside. So, I mean, there you go. That's what what I was talking about last week when I did all of the stock prices. This is a a boondoggle for the for the big pharma companies that if you live in Appalachia, you have a very good reason not to trust. All right, so Chris, you have a different position here. Uh, We've just heard the libertarian position, but I want to know what your position on this exact topic is. Well, I could say this much. I do agree with Stephen that my body, my choice, to the point that it does not affect other people. The second it starts affecting other people, I can give you multiple examples. Down in Florida specifically, there's no smoking inside any establishment now you have to go outside to smoke you can't fly on a plane and not wear a seatbelt or not you know you can't choose to smoke and even an e-cigarette on an airplane as far as the vaccines go the military the military injects way more shit into your body so anybody that's been in the military since 2002 has unknowingly likely gotten an hiv vaccine everything from smallpox pneumococcal typhoid yellow fever did those people volunteer for the military absolutely generally they get recruited and bamboozled and given a, a bill of goods saying that they'll pay for your college or this that and the other thing and they don't have or they don't feel as though they have much other choice in the matter but yeah once you sign on the dotted line you're property of the government till you're discharged but going to schools polio mmr let's see tennis pet b hpv vaccine is recommended for teenagers it's not required but they have a whole list of vaccines that are required i don't understand why this is such a, a sticking point yes you, your body your choice but um, more than 80 percent of the people in the hospital right now are unvaccinated you're 11 times more likely to contract COVID if you're unvaccinated and 10 times more likely to end up in the hospital. So yes, I can still get, I'm vaccinated. You're vaccinated. Brian's vaccinated more than likely everybody on the panel is. And if you're not, that's your choice again. But when you're vaccinated, you can still get it. Brian got it. I did. If I got it, if I was to contract COVID, it would likely not put me in the hospital. My, length of contagion would be much more limited and I will likely not pass it on to many other folks. Cause first of all, I wear a mask when I'm at work and stuff, but that's beside the point. So I feel like putting that mass, uh, vaccine mandate and mask mandate for that matter in place is for the public health and safety. 
and and that's that's got a long history of being in existence when you're talking about required vaccines that have happened in the past you know you hear all these people talking about well the constitution and my rights and the founding fathers and george washington had a vaccine mandate he had one for smallpox so when you're talking about the founding fathers the founding fathers obviously agree with a mass mandate or they wouldn't have had one is that not uh, not okay, right okay so i would posit to you this the founding fathers also gave us the second amendment are you behind the second amendment as I am. strongly as you are the yes. vaccine mandate of yeah, washington george washington absolutely Absolutely. I'm, I'm, you know, you, you're calling me out as if just because I lean left, I'm going to be anti gun. I own guns. I have guns. I know how me to too. shoot guns. Chris Cook is a, uh, is a Democrat. He knows how to shoot guns. He, he owns a gun. So there are plenty of people who believe in the Second Amendment. Now, does that mean that I tattoo the Second Amendment on my forehead and use it as a conversation piece every single time it could possibly be brought up? No, I don't. Do I wear my gun on my hip and fucking talk about it 24-7 and get a fucking erection every time I think about it? No, I don't. And I think that, that is, that's the difference. You know, yes, I am for the Second Amendment, 100%. But do I believe that there are loopholes that need to be closed? Fuck yes, because I have a brain. And I, I, I mean... So would you say that you agreed with Donald Trump's banning of bump stocks? I don't really think that... I, I don't think that I would ban a bump stock more than I would just reform the entire program of owning a gun. If the people who could own guns in America, and, and it shouldn't be everybody... You know, if, if we're under the, the impression that everyone should own guns, no, everyone should not own guns. You should have a rigorous process to go through to even own, sell, or any type of gun. And if that was the case, then we wouldn't have all the issues that we have, I don't think. Andrew Wheeler? Yeah. All right. That's a little off the rails, wasn't it? I'm going to uh, say that the... An article in The Guardian came out on Friday saying that, and The Guardian is uh, the UK major paper. It's not necessarily known for its uh, right leaning. They, because the UK is a little bit more reluctant to jump right into the vaccinate young people. And specifically, since you're talking about mandatory vaccination of young individuals in their study, and this is a little younger than working age, but I think it the the point will carry the same that boys age 12 to and i'm quoting right now from the from the article boys age 12 to 15 with no underlying medical conditions are four to six times more likely to be damaged with vaccine related myocarditis than ending up in a hospital with covid over a four-month period and i think the important piece here is that risk is different for different groups and i'm vaccinated i think that everybody that's over the age of 30 should definitely be vaccinated, but that should be a voluntary choice. I think that forcing people that are young who have virtually no risk of hospitalization to force them to, to get vaccinated against their will with such a low risk in, in play is problematic, especially as we get more information every week about well, these things. And, and, and I'm not saying here that, you know, this is a, a common condition. When we're saying that this condition is four to six times more likely in this age group, that's four to six times more likely in an age group that's already got practically a zero percent chance of having hospitalization from COVID. So that 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 risk to them is very still very low. So I'm not when, saying that it's high risk. I'm just saying and, that 
Why when did you that? say that article was posted? This Friday, Friday, September uh, 2021. The name of the or the title of the article is "Boys More at Risk from Pfizer Jab Side Effect Than COVID Suggests Study." Um, that uh, and I would like to also bring up that that myocarditis. I can't. What is the word again, Mr. Myocarditis. That is a big thing that has been talked about. But here's the thing. If we were to put this on YouTube because we said that word, it would be censored I, I, for a fact. That's a true statement. I am a YouTuber. It is part of a big part of my income. And, you know, my YouTube channel is music. So I keep politics all the way off my channel. But I am very aware of it. So <laughs> if we were to now, he said that M word. And if we were also to say an I word, it would be censored what the dewormer i word yeah that that's uh yeah i was, I was gonna say i think, the, uh, I think yes, the the, uh, yes actually if you will go look up the the new pills that pfizer are uh developing it has many different elements of ivermectin in it that is a thing that's happening. It is not a dewormer. Here's something, and I was I was really wanting to bring that up. Did not ever okay, so if you're inside this and you're really trying to stay on top of stuff, this ivermectin has been talked about by doctors and biologists for the last seven or eight months. But what was it? Two weeks ago, there was no memes, and then there were just memes like crazy. We've got the people doing the dirty work for these pharma companies. Ivermectin has been used four billion times for yellow fever, for river blindness. So I'm not saying that it works. I'm not saying either one. I am suspicious when so many people are ready to stop that proliferation of that information. And it's not pharma it's you people, it's you sheep that are being, the, the businesses are having you do it. When CNN says Joe Rogan takes dewormer, that's bullshit. His doctor gave it to him. It was prescribed by a doctor. And you people, you dewormer people, come on. It's exactly Did, that. It's, 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 it's one of the things, it's one of the things, it's one of the things. Parasitic infections often prescribed for bovine and horses like what well, but it's been given to human beings four billion times you've got these memes that are saying infections. that is yellow fever is not a parasitic infection it has been used for yellow fever that's a fact there is a thing called off label use and i'm not saying that it works I'm saying I don't trust you people, you progs that are so ready to be self-righteous that you know so much more than everyone else. When you have doctors on YouTube being censored for saying that they have used it, I do not trust any of you. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so if we're, if we're talking about this, I mean, I don't know. I, honestly, I have no idea if this has been used for people or if it hasn't been used for people. Uh, from what I understand. It has been four billion times. It is one of the most prescribed medicines in 
Africa because it has cured In India, whole, where those the most fucking people where it, where it's also cured whole villages from river blindness. It is a miracle drug for those things. Now we don't know for sure, but there are. I think I, I had it ready for last week, but we never got to it. There has been studies that show that it works in some capacity. So when you do that dewormer thing, you look like you're being controlled. You're controlled opposition because there are studies that say that it has been uh, beneficial. There are doctors who have said there are evolutionary biologists that say that it is. Now, this goes back to what I was talking about with my big rant about how I don't believe that the government cares for us. If the government cared, we should be trying everything. But one of the things that makes me not trust it is ivermectin is a generic, which means there's no money to be made from it. Now, if you search Pfizer ivermectin, Pfizer is starting on a, a, a test on like it's like a two a day tablet and there are elements in that pill that are parts of ivermectin. Now, fight. Now, look, if you just said that and we know, you know, you're not from Appalachia, but the rest of us are. Do you trust a pharma, a pharma, a big pharma company to be like, wow, here's ivermectin, this thing, it, maybe it works, it, maybe it doesn't. I'm not saying it does. I'm a stupid, fuzzy little musician on YouTube. But there are doctors who say that it has. There are case studies that say that it is. Now, Pfizer is starting another drug that will not be generic that has elements of ivermectin in it. Do you trust the pharmacological companies to do the best for you when there's not a, a motive for money in it? That's the thing that I don't trust. You know what? And I will totally give that to you. That is an excellent point. And, and I, I, don't, I, I don't know the answer to whether ivermectin works or whether it doesn't work or whether it's dangerous or whether it's not dangerous. I know that people it's, are dying from it, right? People have died from taking it, correct? No? Incorrect? Tell if me. If they have, it has been people who have taken the horse version of it. But, dude, there's one of my favorite YouTubers is a guy named Brett Weinstein, and he's been taking it as a, well, how do they call it, prophylactic four months. And he's an evolutionary biologist with a DR in front of his name. This is not a dumb guy that likes my freedoms, like Chris said last week. I always like that when people who do that, my freedoms, they always affect a Southern accent. You know, <laughs> I know what you're doing. You're saying we're all fucking stupid to people who talk like that. I understand that. But this isn't a my freedoms. This is a, a highly respected evolutionary biologist who has been using it as a prophylactic. Okay, so we will circle back and talk more about vaccine mandates here in a second, but now let's move to mask mandates. Do you feel as if a mask mandate, now I know that we're talking to two libertarians, which you guys are going to think my body, my choice. If I want to wear a mask, if I don't want to wear a mask, it's my choice. But we're talking about more than just regular everyday walking around. We're talking about sending our kids to school. And when we send our kids to school, you know, kids are germ bags anyway. They collect germs and they bring them home to you and rub them all over your face. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what children do. When, when I think about sending my child to a school in a pandemic, I, to me, it doesn't make any sense to not put a mask on them. I want them to wear masks. I want the other kids to wear masks. I want the teachers wearing masks. I want the janitors wearing masks. And I want it to be as safe as possible. Plus. How could masks on our kids 
be a negative, even if it wasn't a pandemic, I'd like to not get a cold. I'd like to not get stuff like that. So tell me, and I'll start with Andrew, where do you stand on mass mandates, especially for school children? I think that the decision needs to be made as close to the community as possible. If your community wants to have your kids wear masks and they decide that, then probably should wear masks. Well, that, that's a really that they shouldn't then don't. That's a really oversimplified way to answer it. When let me put you in my situation. I'm in the state of Florida. The kids are not mandated to wear masks. It's by the parents' choice. The governor of the state is going to take the funding from the schools if the schools mandate masks the schools want to mandate masks so the community well not, i wouldn't say that the entire community there is a a sect group that's like no i don't want my kids wearing masks but then there's also a, a sensible group of people that's like man we need to protect our kids and we want our kids to wear masks but then the schools are afraid that Ron DeSantis is going to take the funding from them it's a big clusterfuck how do you as a you know from your position what do you do in that, that situation? Well, yeah, one, you don't have to send your kid to school if you're that afraid. Second is that the odds of, you know, there have been 400 total deaths in the U.S. of people that are under the ages of 17, zero to 17, 400. There since are seven, March, since there January are, of last year. Yeah, there are 70 million people in that age group, 70 million, and only 400 have died in that age group. If you think that you're, I mean, the risk of your kid dying from COVID is non-existent. But what about it damage is, from COVID? Is, it is 14, Except for the ones that did die. It is, it is, it right. is 14 right. times. Yeah, but everything's got risks. We, we, you put your kid on the school bus and it's 14 times more likely that your child in that age group is going to die in a car accident than is going to die from COVID. Yet you still put them out there. I can Life's prevent not, that though. Like, I can't you, prevent I can't prevent a car wreck, but I can I can prevent an ailment. You think you can? Of it. Well, I mean, we can definitely do our, our part. We can definitely do our part. And and I, I think that is just blatant naivety. I mean, that's just it's just absurd to think that you're going to following what a doctor yourself. says. Following what a doctor says. I, I, I'm letting Andrew school y'all. I'm I'm learning. Just <laughs> okay. So let me interject here real quick. So uh, St- Stephen just said that rather than talk down about uh, about ivermectin we should be trying everything we can that being said we should be trying everything we can to protect the kids especially since you andrew said that kids shouldn't be getting the vaccine no because he didn't say that i didn't say that i did not don't put words in my mouth definitely did not say that i did not they're four times greater risks for some uh heart condition if they get it though so that's 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 from doctors and science that's science. So if y'all want to believe I, science, let's believe I don't, science. I didn't say I don't believe that. I'm saying that but, a parent needs to make that choice for their kid based and on not the way that the parent government. assesses the risk. I'm not saying that a kid shouldn't get a vaccine by any means. I'm saying that a parent needs to assess the risk for their kid, and it shouldn't be forced on them by somebody else. Especially Plus, not the government. Considering so, kids So don't be putting in my vaccine. mouth that I'm saying stuff that I'm not saying. Okay. Your ass. Consi- considering that children can't get the vaccine from zero to fucking 12, that's precisely what I'm suggesting is that the masks are that additional layer of protection for those kids. And it's such a bottom and if you feel of the, the road to, thing. to do that, you Mask can. Your kid. And I'm Mask not, opposed, your kid. To, and I'm not do- opposed to a community, you know, to a school deciding on that. 
that you know that that's what they want to do that you know no one's saying not to you're you're they want to wear masks then that's fine and if you don't want to send well how do you feel about the the, uh, don't do that how do you feel about the pulling of the funding if if a school i don't agree with that i mean i don't agree with that authoritarian approach from some sort of central authority up at a state capitol saying this is what your community has to do whether it's you can't wear a mask or you should wear a mask I don't think that the state at that level should be making that call. I think it's a community decision. And your local school should be making that call. You're also misrepresenting that, Brian. He is not saying that he does not want you to wear a mask. DeSantos is saying, DeSantis is saying that he should, that the government should not be mandating it. He's not saying don't wear a mask. Uh, That's that's pointless. That complete, that, that the reason Reason why you know if not if everyone's not wearing the mask, what's the fucking point? It's it's if everybody, okay, so it's everybody wearing the mask, everybody protecting each other. That's the whole goal, right? Is it not? That would be the goal if there was some um, rules behind what type of mask were used and how the mask was worn. Because there are rules. Email, we have an email from Fauci. When the email Fauci, who his. He said specifically that cloth masks do nothing. They do nothing. He said it in a fucking email. You know, Fauci, the same guy who in the 80s, who definitely, definitely uh, inspired a lot of violence towards AIDS patients when he said in his best guess that AIDS can be contracted on surfaces. That's a thing. Go look at it. He's got nice brown hair is from like 1985. This is your this is your king. This is your unelected official. No, 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 no. That doctor does count. That's. Dr. Fauci in the 80s and he also said in an email from a from the Fauci email dump that cloth masks don't do jack shit. He probably didn't say jack shit. Yeah, I doubt that part. N95s work. They work. Sure, if you cover your nose and do those masks do the masks do you really think the mask that you buy at Speedway works? All right, so when we're talking about cloth masks, you were saying that Fauci said cloth masks do nothing. So when did he say that? In emails. And when? That's the, when, when was the timeline that he said that in? Because this whole time, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people like, oh, well, they said this, and then they said this, and then they recanted this, and then they did this. But this entire thing has been a learning experience for everyone, Dr. Fauci included. Is it, sure. it, isn't that? Sure, but that's, I think the issue isn't that it's a learning experience. And I get somebody that, you know, I've, I've changed my view on these very issues multiple times throughout the progression of this. The issue is that, when you come forward and say that this is what it is without the humility to say it may be different and you want to dictate behavior to other people based on things that you don't fully understand and aren't humble enough to say, look, we don't fully understand this. This is what our best advice is at the moment that may change in the future. You need to make your best judgments. That's not what they're doing. They're saying this is what the what it is, and you have to do this. I've gotten that vibe from that, Fauci and, before, and though. Well, I have a my favorite problem. quote that goes to what Andrew just said was he said this. Now, this isn't a pro professional wrestler saying it. He said, and the quote won't be exactly, but it was when you criticize Doctor Fauci, you're criticizing science. This is a that sounds like something that me and Reznor would hear on Monday nights. These are the 
the people that you're talking about. This guy's fucking ego is so big. He said he is science. So if he is science, I'm going to listen to everything he says at every part of the timeline because, as Dr. Fauci said, he is science. Okay, so maybe that was something ridiculous for him to say. <laughs> obviously, yeah, these are, that, yeah, that's a obviously that, that, is being, that is an unelected official that is that but, is but it's, going it's through not policy. Just, it's not just this. This is the role of government is to assume responsibility for education or the economy or your health, and assume that they've got the this crystal ball that explains to them how it all works, and that they are able. They have this, the, you know, that they're the the, the chosen to use a Thomas Sowell quote, you know, that Ooh, they, God they, damn, that they know exactly what the truth is and that they're able to discern what the best course of action is for everybody else. And that's absurd. None of us do. Right. I don't know what the best course of action is and neither do they. And even if, even the experts don't, they don't know. And that's pretty, pretty evident is because their position has changed. And so when you're saying that, I'm an expert and you need to do exactly what I am going to com- compel you to do that. That's a problem. Compel you with fines. Okay. Well, well you know, we're, we're back on pay the fines. What happens then? We're, we're back on vaccines. Where's, all my, defu- fail, where's right? all my defund the police people? Because who do you think is going to enforce that? I don't Where think are they at? I don't think you're among defund the police people. I don't, I don't think at least Chris I know. Cook, would you say you're a defund the police guy? I'm, I'm more of a fund the police. I think that the the police. I know where you are, Brian. I know where you are, Riz. Chris, is he there? I I would say that some portions of it, like their their militism, armored. Yeah, the militism of of local and city police versus the county sheriff's department. Yeah, I take take issue with that. But when you say defund the police, it doesn't necessarily mean you know, dismantle to police. It means to reform how the their funds are distributed so that there's not really a need to have armored personnel to, you know. I, I completely agree with you. I'm We're right on the well, same uh, wavelength. My point is, who do you think is going to enforce when the fines aren't paid? And do we want more? And going back to demographics of the vaccinated, we know Blacks and Hispanics are the least vaccinated. So are you telling me, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to, to get you, but do we want more police interaction with Hispanics and blacks who don't pay their fines? Not particularly, no. And it's not a get you because you try that shit all the time. It no, no, really I'm not. With me. I'm truly not. Um, <laughs> That's a good show. He said, no, no. <laughs> but the, 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 what we're talking about though, now, now we're going into, into vaccines again. And, and we're talking about masks on children. I personally, my, my stance on it is we should protect our kids any way we can, especially with the, the, the mask is such a bottom thing. It's, it's like it, this, is the, the very least you could do. The very least you can do, put on a mask, protect other people, protect yourself. And we should do that for our children. I, I believe that. And I don't understand how I would be wrong to believe that. Do no you one's think saying that the mask is harmless. What is it? Do mm. you believe that the mask is harmless? I believe the mask is harmless. Yes. Do you have any science to back that up? I have anecdotal evidence. 
You have anecdotal evidence that what? That the mask that, is uh, harmless? That the mask can be mentally damaging for these children. Now, I'm not going to tell the name of this student, but I had a student come in and he had a mask on that didn't have one ear thing, right? It's just hanging off. He's got one ear on and the other is just dangling. And I told him, I'm vaccinated. If you want to take that silly thing off because it's not connected, and he said, okay. So he took it off. The kid then did have a panic attack because he was not wearing a mask with one ear off. So it's a mask that does not work. There is some mental problems that we're giving these children. That's an excellent fucking question from Andrew Wheeler. Do you think they're harmless? I have had multiple students. I'm a drum teacher in my real life. I have had multiple students refuse to pick up the drumsticks that I have the have like some community drumsticks in case students forget because if we all have kids, we know kids forget everything. I have had kids who refuse to pick up drumsticks because they're afraid of COVID. I am very, very scared that we are creating a generation of germophobic people. And if you don't think that's harmful, I don't know what to say. If that's true, it would be harmful, but kids have very wild imaginations. Exactly. I mean, you know, and yeah, and we have a bunch of uh, we have a bunch of adults who they look to and we mm-hmm. have about what, you know, half the population that are scared to death. I have a question for everyone here. And I was thinking about this the other day. When you see someone driving in their car by themselves with their mask on, Andrew, what do you think when you see that? Idiot. Yeah, I think Brian, moron, moron. Chris, what do you think? I agree with that. Although, so can he go too far? Because you just know that someone wears that while they're taking a shower. You just know it. I see people riding bikes. I I drive left a place that required a mask. I ended up driving down the road and forgot that I had it on. That's what I'm saying. I I left the store. You know, I would leave a store and it'd still be on my face. And especially if it wasn't blazing hot out. Now, can I we just, agree that there's probably some people who are actually doing it? No, not oh, because they forgot. We didn't. We didn't get a response the from. We didn't I get don't a, know the shower though. I guarantee there's motherfuckers wearing one in a shower. <laughs> I know, I, dude. I, I was riding my bike a couple weeks ago, and I was riding around. A it was 95 degrees. It was out in a park, and I'm going 12, 13 miles an hour on my bike, and I roll past a college student, and she put her mask up while I buzzed past her on my bicycle. Uh, I've seen that. I've been out running. I know you've seen it. Or biking with my wife and and as we pass people they'll put their mask on and so like, now back outside, bro. back to what andrew said do you think that the masks are harmless i do i personally think they are homeless or not homeless i personally think they, we're all gonna get fired and be i personally homeless. think they are harmless um, are you certain of that yes. enough to force other children to wear the mask and that's um, the, the issue are you certain enough that you would take responsibility for their mental health 15 years down the line, all of these other kids, and that you would take responsibility for it if you were wrong. I had a kid who had a panic attack because he was not wearing a mask that didn't work and had one earpiece. That can't be anecdotal. That has to be playing out. I just, I don't see it playing out. I, I can't imagine wearing a mask damaging my mental health just, can you agree that you're just assuming that without any yeah, knowledge sure of I, i'm not a doctor i am a, a fucking podcast host i am not a, a fucking damn good one too sir thank you man and, thank you 
And, and I'm not dismissing. Is- oh, sorry. I, I was going to say I'm not dismissing the fact that this kid had a panic attack. Um, who knows what what uh, information that kid is being fed at home, um, or whether he watched the news? I know for sure that most kids, including myself, when I was growing up, I never watched the fucking news. I was watching cartoons and shit and playing. It outside. was a better time then, man. It was a better time. So, so to say. Um, is the mask harmless as the device that it is intended to be? Absolutely. Is it a uh, potential for some of these mental issues as Stephen was, was discussing? I'm sure it could be, but there's a, a whole lot of other things that uh, I don't know how you guys fared in school and, and I didn't fare too poorly, but I know other kids, including my daughter personally, that is, let's say different to say the least. Right. And kids are fucking cruel and, and they worry about shit that's not worth worrying about, but they won't figure that out till they become adults. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, so what what I'm hearing is though, that, you think that there's a very low risk of the masks causing harm. And so therefore we shouldn't be too concerned about them. And I'm saying that we know exactly what the COVID risk is and it's non-existent. That's not true. The, 400 the first, out of 70 million. If you just do the math, I can't. For the, for the, no, you don't need to. Trust me. It is 13 times, 13 times more likely to die in a car accident than to die from COVID. And yet you put your kids in the car. If you choose to put your kid in the car and you don't have any problem doing that, put them in a seatbelt and send them, send them off to school, then why in the hell would you be afraid of something that is one thirteenth as dangerous. Okay. Because if it doesn't kill them, they can bring it home and it can kill us. <laughs> well, here's another you know thing. Too, but our, Wait, but here's another thing. who are vaccinated. Okay, so, and that's fair. That's fair. That's a fair argument. But again, you're saying that their What's, mental health, that you're wanting to force them to protect you. What is more likely to right? happen? Not what? that you can't protect yourself. Tell me this. Assuming that their action is going to somehow interfere just, with your ability to protect yourself. Just like if Brian you're that said, afraid of your kids, stay away from your fucking kids. I'm not afraid Don't of my kids. Them, them I'm afraid school. of motherfuckers at school what? that bring COVID to school and then bring the shit home. Here's something that we're not thinking about. Here's something that we're not thinking about. What is more likely? A child getting mental health damage from wearing a mask and being responsible to protect themselves and other people or about a low rate or anything would be wait, conjecture Any or answer would be conjecture. or or the damage that covid is going to do to your child that they're going to live with for the rest of their life like do lung scarring think, and things like things like that you think your kid is never going to get covid well that's what you're hoping is that your kid doesn't get covid at least until they can get vaccinated the science suggests that that is not the case i so, mean that that is not the case I mean, we Tom, know Tom the vaccines. The vac- we know that the vaccines are leaky vaccines. They don't prevent you from getting the vaccine, the, getting the virus. They prevent you from dying from it. Right. And They're so very leaky. No, every, uh, everyone, everyone, no everyone has well, no vaccine. So you might not be stuck in a wheelchair, but you could still get polio from the polio vaccine. Well, there is Absolutely. there is a there, there is a difference there is a difference between a leaky vaccine and a non-leaky vaccine. And well, explain that because I don't understand the term leaky vaccine. What uh, okay. to me when when I hear leaky vaccine, I'm thinking that it's leaking out the side. We're gonna have to get another no, no, one no, of no. these. So a leaky vaccine allows the virus to continue to propagate, but it doesn't kill the host. And one of the problems with this is that the virus is able to be actually mutate into stronger strains that would normally be dead ended. Meaning if the virus becomes virulent enough to kill you within a day, 
then that strain isn't likely to propagate because the people who happen to get that strain die very quickly and they don't, they're not able to propagate the, the vaccine. But a leaky vaccine allows viruses that have that property to continue to propagate because everybody still gets the vaccine. Everybody still gets the virus. They just don't die from it. That's the issue. And that is what a lot of people who are vaccine hesitant, those are things that they think so, well, about. And now, there's, in there's, West- there's, some other, there's some other issues as well. There's, this virus has an, an animal reservoir. There's evidence of pets getting it. There's no evidence of pets getting it back to humans, but definitely pets get it. We know that it uh, originated in bats. You can debate on whether the, the, la- you know, the lab or whatever, but there's definitely an animal reservoir for this. There's no eliminating this. It will continue to mutate in the wild, the vaccine isn't going to prevent it from mutating. It will eventually mutate and evolve around the limited protection the vaccine provides you. The vaccine targets one single protein on the, or a, a small number of proteins on that virus, the, the spike. And it's just, you're, it's going to mutate around that by design. I mean, that's, With, that's what you put, a, you put, you put evolutionary pressure on the virus to mutate around that vaccine. With that, are you predicting that this is going to just continue to get bigger and worse until we're all dead? Is that what you're saying? I don't know about that, but I'm just saying that we normal the normal progression for a virus is to become more virulent and less deadly. But we're not seeing that with Delta. They're saying that Delta is more deadly and more virulent, and that's an anomaly. Uh, but, it anomaly. Is, but it is explained by the presence of leaky vaccines because in leaky presence of leaky vaccines that happens there's a lot of i got a 2015 article pre this predates the this is a big article i tried to find this today on merrick's disease in chickens and essentially what it is is that this disease was in the chicken population and it caused mutations caused them to be deformed they gave them this fire this vaccine in the in the chicken population to address that and I'll see if I can post the link to you guys. But so the virus ends up mutating and becomes a much more virulent and much more deadly strain, but it doesn't bother the infected, the, the inoculated chickens. However, if you happen to be a chicken that's not inoculated, you're dead within 10 days because the virus has gotten that strong in the chickens. Leaky vaccines are a da- dangerous kind of phenomenon. Merrick's disease is the name of the disease that is related to this. And, now, and, and what he's saying. No, and I'm not saying that that's happening here. I'm not, I'm not saying. It is a theory. It is, it is a caution that we need to be aware of, that this is, not some, this is something that was concerning in 2015 before we had this virus. And now we've got this virus and we're using the very same tools that were cautioned about five, six years ago. And so the question is, you know, is it in an emergency, will we end up with a non-leaky vaccine that fixes that in the future? That would be, that would be a win. That would be fantastic. I just, let's not get all excited. There's some I things have, that we need to be really concerned about. And if you think that your kids are never going to get this, that's, that's a mistake. The, the reality is the, the odds are that everyone will get a version of this. And, and this comes back to something that I asked in just the like chat the back in the day. And uh, here's something I don't think no one has said. Let's just assume that 100% of the people in the world get vaccinated. And we know that's not possible. 
And this virus still goes because in West Virginia, 25% of the COVID cases are vaccinated people. That's an actual number. So one quarter of COVID cases right now are vaccinated. What do we do then if we're 100% vaccinated and we just keep getting variants? What do we do? Do we just shut down everything? What happens then? This and and this goes to uh, what we were talking about with the 400 people, the 400 kids dying. Obviously, that is a tragedy. But, but every each side, Republicans and Democrats, because this is this right left. Now, if you look at Israel, Israel did not politicize this. They're 80 percent vaccinated. And the Delta variant is running wild in that country. It's not, you know, they, they all stood in line and got it. What happens? What do we do then? Because just like there's the 400 kids that died, utopia is not possible. And you cannot govern into a utopia. That has been my point about all of this from the beginning. All right. So we've talked about mask mandates. We've talked about vaccine mandates. But there's also another My Body, My Choice that's in the news right now, and that is with abortion. We're talking, of course, about Texas and their recent laws that they passed to go around uh, Roe versus Wade. And I don't know where we will all stand with that. So I'll start with Andrew. What do you think about this new situation? Yeah, it's it's an interesting constitutional thing. Uh, It's going to be fun to play out. So how do you think uh, it will play out? I think that once somebody files suit, if that ever happens, then it'll get tossed. I mean, it'll, it'll be tossed. I think that there's, I'm not a legal scholar in that respect. I mean, I'm kind of, it'd only be speculation, but I sort of imagine that once somebody sues, there'll be an argument that that individual is an agent for the state. I don't know. It's, 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 it's disturbing. I wouldn't like the same particular model being used to restrict, say, gun ownership in New York or, you know, to, to do other types of things. I don't like this notion of, yeah, it, it, it's, 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 it's a disturbing strategy. I, I, I'm not sure that the people that wrote the law intended to stand. I think that is kind of a constitutional test. I think they're probing. So that's, that's just my, and again, I don't have, I'm not an expert in this field. This isn't my, this isn't my, this isn't my wheelhouse. So, you know, I understand the experts on that. All right. So, so Stephen Barker, where do you stand on, on the, what's going on in Texas? It goes back to the very first thing I said on the segment. It is your body. It is your meat. You own it. It is the one thing you own. You can put anything into it. You can take anything out of it that you want. I agree with Andrew. I think that this is just a test. They, I think that that side thinks that because Trump put three SCOTUS that they may get the return. They'll get that overturned. But if you go, the first case that Kavanaugh uh, ruled on was an abortion case and he was for it. So I, you know, again, it's my body, my choice. And, and, and I say that if you say it's my body, my choice for abortion, I say it should be your body, your choice for everything, as long as it maintains to the non-aggression pact. Chris Cook, what were your thoughts when you heard what went down in Texas? Because I have two girls in the house, I was 
appalled because it's it's really tattletale it's it's not even it's a civil litigation anyways it's not even a criminal thing they can impose fines against the abortion provider and anyone that abetted that person going but the the woman bears no brunt of any repercussions and additionally like i was i was truly hoping that you were going to have an actual conservative person on here because I have like six pages of notes on that subject because I, I agree completely with Stephen. On that front, it is not my say to tell your wife or daughter that she has to carry a, a pregnancy to term. And I'm being careful about the terms that I use because I would refer to a fetus more or less like a parasite, to be quite frank. And until that fetus can be self-sustaining outside the the host, then good luck with that. Like, you know, there, there's, you can't force a woman to carry the term I gotta, because, go ahead. I gotta, I gotta jump in here on that logic. Just not, not necessarily that I disagree or agree necessarily with your conclusion, but I think the way you reach there has got some issues. So, um, you know, a, a newborn does not have, you know, does not have the capacity to, you know, sustain itself. So do you think it's okay just to sort of leave it on the curb? What I mean by that is when, for example, I should have a, a, a brother that's two years older than I, and my brother born in 1975 was born prematurely and had he been born today, he likely would have lived. He would have went to the NICU. They would have put him on a ventilator, whatever the case is, um, and incubated him along just like the preemies that are born, you know, at, at 26 to 30 weeks and, and likely survived. He could not breathe on his own. He lived for approximately an hour. And th that that's what I mean. A fully functional, um, gestation is, is what I'm referring to. I understand that a human can't so much as sit up on its own, much less find food or walk around like many of the animals in the animal kingdom. I get that. But to give birth to at that point, when it, when it reaches the air, a, a baby human, that baby should be able to breathe on its own and for a period of time, and, and I'm not putting a, a, a time frame on that period of time. I'm just saying, in general, the baby's born, the baby cries, the baby's alive. Now that is a human being. And no, you don't leave it on the curb. Okay. The people so that have, uh, I'm sorry, one more thing. The people that have abortions up to 24 weeks, they likely struggle First of all, in this law, it suggests that um, as soon as there's cardiac activity, that that they can't have an abortion. And many women don't find out they're pregnant until well after six weeks. They don't even know. Some some women have irregular periods, and they don't even know that they're pregnant. And then they're going to be forced um, to to carry, and that's that's ridiculous. The ones that have to have an abortion after 24 weeks, late term abortions, that's only in the event that the the mother's life is at risk and they've already made that decision long before then that they were going to carry the term yeah i and i i get that so to be i guess full disclosure i don't really even have a cogent position on this 
because it's an internal debate that I've had with myself for decades that I haven't really seemed to come to a conclusion one way or the other on how I feel about this personally. I definitely know as a libertarian, you know, kind of where I where I'm at, where that responsibility falls. But I am always trying to explore this notion. So I've got this little thought experiment in my head that I can't seem to sort of get my head around and maybe and I'm, I'm going to share it with you. All right. And hopefully maybe we can uh, work something out. So imagine the situation where you've got a loved one, maybe a family member, some, somebody close to you who is, you find that they are on life support and they are expected to be on this life support for eight more months. But after that eight month period of life support, they plan to need some assistance in functioning for maybe five to 10 years after that. But beyond that, they are expected to make a full recovery from their condition. In that situation, would it be appropriate to terminate life support? No. Well, uh, and that's, that's the, that's the situation that I find myself debating in my head. And we talk about, you know, my body, my choice, but essentially every abortion argument I've ever heard comes down to this notion of the fetus is a baby or the fetus is not a baby. And I haven't made up my own mind on that. I don't know. And I definitely don't think the government should be making that call on whether it is or not. And I think that anybody that rejects the notion of it being a baby does so on faith. They have, there's no real, they don't really have any evidence or support. They just say it's not. And those people that do believe it is a baby, they have the same kind of notion or that. And when I say baby, you know, what we're really talking about here is whether or not this is a person as an entity, you know, not a, you know, kind of, and how do you define that? And so we know that it's, you know, got unique DNA, that it's definitely living, that it is, we know that it's dependent on the mother. We know that it's not the mother. You know, it, you mentioned that it's a parasite that sort of suggests that it's a separate entity. And so whether or not that is a person is somewhat where the, li- the line is. And of course, under Roe v. Wade, that line was set at viability. If the if it was viable outside of the womb, that was what the law was. And so at that point, it becomes a person. And I'm not necessarily convinced just that because the Supreme Court of the United States said at this line, this is a person. And before that line, it's not a person is the correct response. I mean, that would be kind of an appeal to authority fallacy in my own mind. Um, And so I'm struggling with this point on when exactly this fetus, and I'll use the word fetus, when, when, when this fetus becomes a person. And if it's a person at 10 weeks, and I'm not saying that it is, I'm just saying if it is, then it has you know, it, it, it's got, it should have the same protections under the law as anyone else. And that's, and that's I, kind of the, and, the and issue that, that I'm struggling with in my own mind. For this. And, 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 I, and it I, doesn't, it doesn't. Just well, okay. So I, I, you know, one of the things that I try to strive for in my political ideology is consistency. And it's something that I hope for in government laws and policies is just consistency. And of course we do not have that or any semblance of it. My question is, and again, my body, my choice, I am only doing a little bit of a thought project as well, or thought, thought, whatever, how do you put it? If you murder, experiment, yeah, ooh, hey, if you murder a woman who is three weeks pregnant, you have now a double murder. 
Is that a consistency in the law? No, it's not. No, that's that's all I'm looking for. That's all I'm asking. So where I guess my question. So I'll answer Andrew first with the, the whole idea of let's say you're on life support or in a coma or whatever for eight months. The point is you existed and were uh, presumably a functioning member of society previous to, therefore you likely paid taxes and you were doing something before that accident that put you on life support and then you'd make a full recovery. So the things don't um, exactly correlate because there was no existence before that. And yeah, and I, I, I agree that personhood may be predicated a little on having personhood assigned to you in the past, that 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 designation as a person previously can't be revoked necessarily. And I, and I, I get that. I don't think it necessarily invalidates the thought that it's a, that a point in time may not be the appropriate metric for defining when life starts is my issue is that it might be the prospect of what this life might be. That is a more accurate connotation of, you know, if we know that this individual's life is going to be over, they're going to be bed fast for the rest of their life. They're going to be a vegetable. Then we would say, yeah, we're probably going to terminate the pregnancy. So it's not the, their current condition that makes us concerned about whether or not this life is worth preserving or whether we consider this life valuable. It's, you know, what it's, its future outcome is. If we think that it's going to make a future, a full recovery after eight months, then that's a different, you know, we end up with a difference. And the fact that I end up with it, that different kind of conflict in my head suggests that a static, is it viable at this point might not be an appropriate metric. And, and, being, that, and, and I, again, I, I'm not saying that it is, I, I just don't know. I'm going to okay. I'm going to say this and and someone who how can I just put this? I have experience in this thing that we're talking about. I have experience in it. Would you ever say to a person that I hope that you get an abortion? I want you to get an abortion. Would Would you ever say that to a person or would you ever of, feel that way? Like yeah, that's what I'm saying like things. if if this is if this this is such a hard thing to talk about. And I have to say, we've done very good. We've done better than every other argument that I've seen over the last couple of weeks. So good on you fellas. But there are mental things that go on when that happens. Would you ever say if this, if you think that an abortion is, isn't a heavy subject and if it's just a thing that you do, it's just a, it's just a procedure you've never consoled someone who's had one. It's not that easy. One of my favorite political thinkers is a guy named Jordan Peterson. And, you know, he's he's a bit of a conservative. And he said, abortion is not morally right, but it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Because would you ever say, hey, I hope you get an abortion today. You would never say that. And this gets back to the politics and the liberals. You brought it on yourself because when you have Michelle Wolf, who's a comedian doing a parade on TV saying yay for abortion, you're only encouraging the people who are against it. And I'm not saying they're right or wrong. Dave Chappelle, the great stand-up philosopher, he said it. You girls, you brought it upon yourself. It used to be safe what was what would how did Hillary Clinton put it safe something and rare? They used to say safe 
something in rare. That was her line for it. And now we're living in a society. And I'm then again, my body, my choice, but you brought it upon yourself because you've got these people out there saying, yay, abortion. And I do not put bad. Uh, I don't think that a lot of the people who are pro-life, I don't think it's they want to control a woman's body you know me and chris we had a big blow up offline about how i don't think that everyone with an r in front of their name is evil let's just get it out there right there are people out there who truly think that that's a real life right so when you have these these thought leaders on the democratic side, which is always comedians for some reason. I don't know how that happened. How did John Stewart become your Democrat daddy? You, I, and I love John Stewart. John Stewart is a fucking genius. That's how he is. But how did, how did stand up comedians Carlin, become your part? Right. And dude, we can go to George Carlin if we want to get back, double on back to Joe Biden and his, and I think we need to hit that. But you, 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 you people on the left, because I'm not left, I'm not right. You brought it upon yourself with these people who are making an abortion seem like the best thing that you could do in your life. You, you know what? You're not mm-hmm. wrong. You're, you're, you're not wrong because I've seen, I, I seen a, a meme getting shared with a woman who had a, a T-shirt on that said, I've had 27 abortions. <laughs> And, and if, you're, you're advertising, uh, if you're advertising that type of, of thought process out there, you know, of course, anyone who sees that is going to be anyone who's against abortion is going to be absolutely disgusted with you. Maybe people who, you know, who support a woman's right to have an abortion would still be disgusted with the fact that you're promoting that. And that gets back to my thing. Is it is it a neutral event? Is an abortion a neutral event? Hey, can I say something? First, let me say that I am pro-choice. Pro-choice does not mean pro-abortion. What it means is I recognize that it's not my say in what a woman and their partner chooses to do in that event. Just like Steven said initially, he said, your body, your choice, you own that meat bag, then it's on them. And so pro-choice for me means exactly that. I recognize that it is not up to me. It is up to whoever is in that scenario. Okay. Secondarily, I have also experienced this personally. Um, I was 19 years old and the girl that I was dating, we got pregnant and made the, the tough decision for our future to carry that out. And then shortly thereafter, it, it, was, it wasn't the easiest decision, okay? But it also wasn't, um, in the end, the weeks and months after, wasn't as heart-wrenching as it was at that very moment. So a good friend of mine who happened to be in the military and it's severely frowned upon to be in an adulterous relationship. You can be dishonorably discharged for such things, had an affair and impregnated a married woman. And I suggested to him that he take care of that situation, meaning exactly that. And he chose not to. So that pregnancy was carried term. And now that individual is now a full grown human being 19 years old and doing wonderfully. So it's not something to make light of. 
but it's also an individual thing and it does go back to bodily autonomy which we open this entire thing up with from Stephen. it is not my choice it is not your choice or anybody else on this panel unless it directly involves you my and thoughts does not yeah, go ahead. My, my thoughts on uh, on it is the same as uh, as gay marriage, and this may be a libertarian position, but when I think about gay marriage, people that are against gay marriage, I say if you're against gay marriage, it's simple. Just don't get don't gay. Have one. Yeah, don't get gay married, and and you're good. <laughs> and the same thing with, with with this. You know, I myself, I guess you would say that I'm against abortion because I've never had one, and I would never abort a, a seed of mine. That's a personal choice it's a personal decision if i if i bring life into this world i'm bringing life into this world if i if i've impregnated someone we're we're having a baby that's that's the way i live my life but i am in no position to say that to anyone else and, and, and tell anyone else that they have to go by the same standards that i have and you know you said a minute ago you know you would never say to someone i hope you have an abortion but i've thought it I've thought it plenty of times when I've seen someone get pregnant that absolutely could not raise a child. You know, that child may grow up and stab mine. So I'm definitely not going to talk her out of getting an abortion if she is someone that is, you know, drug addicted and living in in a in a life that's not going to bring up a a good child into the world. I'm definitely not going to to tell her that she I hope you have an abortion, but I'm going to sit there and think, "Man, I feel really bad for a kid that has to grow up in that type of life. It's a strong point, you know, and, and, and unfortunately because of where we're from, Brian, that's a big deal. That. That's a big deal. A lot. Yeah. Dope fiends. Yeah. And there's again, dope fiends getting that, everywhere. All, and again, all of that is predicated on the notion that that fetus is not a person. Right. It's not, it's not simple. This is, and this is a problem with American commentary, especially with our media is this is so nuanced. This right here, fellas, this is one of the best nuanced arguments or debates that I've ever heard because it's always so strong on either side and nobody. And and hopefully this is going to move back because I want to get into old Joe before we leave here. No one, no one has the balls to just say, I'm not sure. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people, and one of the things I've loved about this, this has been my favorite panel by far, is we've had people in here just like, I'm not real fucking sure. And I think a lot of people should be that way right now with everything that's going on in politics. You know, Chris said earlier that he was really hoping that I had a hardcore conservative on this panel. And there's a reason why I don't. It's not because I didn't reach out to a bunch of them. I reached out to a lot of people that were very pro-life and no one wanted to have a conversation with people who were not pro-life. And I thought that was very interesting because. Well, well, because here's why. And this gets to our offline thing, Chris. You are scaring these people into not telling you what they really think because they are afraid they're going to get called words and and be represented in bad faith because, you know, not every Republican is evil. Not every Republican is a Nazi. And that, I'm going to go out on I, there and say that. As I and, indicated, that position to be, you know, pro-life is it's because they believe that that fetus is a baby, that that is it's a person, that that it, you know it's it's a it's a child that uh, and it and that it has a soul, 
uh, in many cases, many believe that, that it has a soul that uh, existed from conception and it's a faith-based position, but it's also as much a faith-based position as the counter argument that it's not. You know, one you know, of the things you reject and, that and say that it's not, it's, it's a, it's a still a faith, faith-based position. And it breaks my heart, Brian, that, excuse me, that your Republican buddies, because I know Brian has got buddies on all sides. He's got a couple libertarians here. He's got a liberal down there. He's got some Republicans. And I think it is a shame that these people do not feel comfortable coming on and talking about how they feel because they're afraid they're going to get lambasted. And that's not a good place to be. I don't think that that's it. I don't don't think that it's a lambasted situation. I think that it's a recognition that their position is faith-based and that there's no sense in trying to argue a position that's fundamentally faith-based. Which is a great point. the problem with the other side is that the, those that are pro-choice believe that they are more pragmatic. And I think that's a little bit of a delusion. I think that, that, that that's not the case. They, they, they perceive themselves as being that this is more re, a more reasoned approach. But the assumption, the underlying assumption is still purely faith-based. Well, you know, and that's a really good point because you say that it's that it's faith based, and that's the reason they don't want to come on the show. And and, and I mean faith. I mean, I mean faith not in a religious sense. What I mean is that faith is the absence of reason. That there's no evidence one way or the other, and that the the just like you know for, for you know the existence of God. There's a lot of positions. In, in fact, all science has a little bit of faith. I mean, that's that p value right there. So, the the whole notion that you know you're having that the 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 pro-choice side is a purely rational position and that the pro-life side is a you know off the off the walls genie in the sky kind of position i think is 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 a little bit of a straw man why is it up to you at all for any woman to choose to do any medical procedure that she'd like to do why is that up to you at all and it's 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 not but you said this in the very opening statement that with the exception that my freedoms end where someone else's start. And if that, if, if that fetus, if that fetus is a person, then that mother's rights stop where that fetus's rights start. And, you know, preservation of life is fundamental. So, and I'm not saying that it is. I'm, where, I'm not saying that it is. Where, where do you get that? Because that's that's why I was hoping life, there, liberty, there was be- life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We 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 hold these rights to be self-evident. I mean, that's you know, life is fundamental among those. And I guess my point is, and I'm not saying that it is life. I'm saying that I'm trying to parse the positions so that neither side is demonized the way they normally are politi- politi- politically done, so that we can kind of get a, an understanding of where these uh, the other side is coming from. And that your side is, it's not, it's not a person. And their side is, yes, it is a person. And your definitions of a person differ. And they differ based on nothing that can be argued. I actually find it less important whether it's a person or not, because it's, it's more of the position that it has nothing to do with me. It's not up to me and it doesn't affect me or could affect me. It doesn't affect me. Okay. So if someone is, so if, so if you're in a, in a grocery store and a robber comes in and points, so the gun at the, questions. Point, points the gun at the, at, you know, at the clerk and you have the opportunity to, 
maybe disarm that. And, and I get that, that this is a, a fan, a fanciful example. Uh, you don't feel any moral obligation. You could just, yeah, shoot him. It's not, it doesn't affect me. I'm going to walk away from that. I was, I was specifically waiting for the word moral and now I can go into the rest of the stuff without having a conservative uh, Christian evangelical on this, on the panel. But to answer that question, I've had this discussion with both Brian Reznor and um, we'll be kind and call him a gun enthusiast at work. And I got, and I, and I, and I got several different responses and even that gun enthusiast's father said, he should absolutely not pull the trigger um, because one, if you're there to protect you yourself and maybe your family that's there, it is. Okay. Mo- morality is ambiguous. Like okay. you it's, it's, it's on a personal level, your moral compass may be different than mine. You know what okay. I mean? All right. Baby, and, baby stroller rolls out into the traffic. Just to let it go. No, I'm going to try because in that case, uh, it, I have. It's not. not it, does, it doesn't I, have anything to do not, with you. What, what right. obligation do you have? Because I think that the, see, so fundamentally, fundamentally, we are social beings. We are, and this is going to be surprising coming from the libertarian. But you know, we are responsible for each other. Not, We're a herd animal. Not, not, not coercively responsible, but we are voluntarily responsible. We should be individually looking out for our neighbors. You know, we often hear people talk about, you know, libertarians being kind of icy and cold and they're all about self-interest. Well, it's in our self-interest to make sure that we have a strong community. It's in our self-interest to make sure that our kid, the kids in our neighborhood are read, that the kids in our neighborhood are fed. Now, should the government coerce us to do that? I don't agree with that. But should we be acting out every day to make our community better by spending time with people that are disadvantaged, that have less than us? For sure. And I think that in this respect, we need to be looking out for those in the community around us. Now, I said that's a lot of talking to get to where I'm going. But the, the point is, if we've got a responsibility to the other lives in our community, and if that fetus, for whatever reason, is a life in our community, then we have a responsibility as a community to defend that person who can't defend themselves. Now, so, and that's why it always boils down to this, is it or not? And I don't think there's a clear answer. No, there isn't and a clear I, answer. And I do, there, I, do agree with, I do agree with you that the ultimate choice should be with the mother. I agree with that. All right, I'm not, so, and we've, we've you know, all, I just disagreed with the reasons that we sort of, that, that were emerging for why it was that. And, and I think that the, the reason is that that's the, the, I don't know. And my, and my question was back to the moral subject, where does anyone's morality when it comes to this subject come from? Because the religious people will tell you all day, oh, it's God's will, or it's in the Bible. It is in fact not. In fact, there's a couple, I have them written here, Exodus and Numbers, um, where they talk, they diminish the value of the fetus for one, if mm-hmm. 
in a bar situation, two men are fighting and the woman is injured and the fetus is lost, you pay a fine. That's it. Yeah. If the woman is killed, then it's an eye for an eye, a life for a life. Sure. Right. Yeah. And I, I think um, that under the Jewish tradition, life doesn't start until fourth breath. I think exa- that's the, exactly. That, that's I was just going to say that. I also marked that and right. double underlined it. It says life doesn't start at conception. That's the right. Jewish premise. And in numbers, if a woman is uh, unfaithful, they create a potion, which once consumed will induce a miscarriage or an abortion if you will, if she was unfaithful. And, and it's proven that that's a superstitious uh, sacrament, but it's nevertheless um, still a position. There, you will find nothing. I, I, and that's why I was hoping. And, and again, they would say, I, I, I'm pointing out again, I guess, that the arguments still end up being not, I mean, these are philosophical faith-based positions, all of them. And, and I think when you think about and, when this is sp- spoken about politically, it's in bad faith from the left because know. all they say is they want to control females' bodies. And I don't believe that's true because I know people who are, you know, I have friends who are Republicans. Oh, my goodness, I do. And I have friends who are uh, religious. One of my bestest friends, she's a very religious woman. She doesn't, she feels that way, not because she wants to control someone's body. So that argument, we can't get, this is one of the best arguments or debates I've ever heard on this, because when you do CNN, you do Fox News, you just get two people hard on either side. And one says everything is a baby, no matter, you know, from the sperm to the, is a baby. And the other side is you just want to control my body. And it's not that easy. And what this, I think, has been a very good example of how you actually do have a nuanced conversation. And it's the reason why those five minute segments that's on CNN and Fox News that are killing our country. Those are destroying us because it's just pro wrestling. It's just kayfabe. It's bullshit. These are the conversations where you actually get closer to the truth. And I don't think we've gotten to the truth, but I tell you what, we've gotten closer to the truth, uh, closer than anything else I've heard. Well, we haven't gotten to the truth and we have not solved all the world's problems, but we have had a really great conversation about the, the, the three things that I wanted to talk about. And you wanted to talk about president Biden for some reason. So I'm going to give you that opportunity and we're not going to spend much time on it because we've already been here for a very long time it's going to be an it's funny like people anytime that anybody talks about the experiment they give me their feedback and they're like oh it's a great show but man it's so fucking long it's ridiculously long well and then i come out with a show that's even longer and that's that's how i respond to it i, I that's what i do every single week so Joe rogan does five hour podcast well this baby that's that's the whole argument i make but either way this is well, going to be a very the long argument you should be make making is is you're talking about subjects that are so heavy that they can't be done in five minute chunks that's that's the this truth this is how you get to it you know when you go do a debate or if you go to a debate on a college campus they're usually not timed well you, you know, wanted we to talk about joe biden you wanted to talk about joe How biden so we what do you want what do joe, you want to talk about this whole thing has been the joe biden fucking uh, mandate that he came out with that's the whole fucking ball game we now have a government telling who you can and can't employ we were you know last week all fucking or two weeks ago all fucking australia can it come here looks like it's coming because who is going to enforce this 
the military question mark well there's a whole out we talked about it there's a whole out with negative tests that's an out of getting the vaccine you don't have to get the vaccine if you got the negative test do you think it's that easy well there's an out so if there's an out then then you're you're so okay i want to know from everybody in here do you agree with these policies I'll, i'll say that for more than 10 different vaccines throughout going into school and all through school and more than 20 different vaccines. If you go in the military, I'm and, and all of us sitting here are vaccinated except for Nick. Are you vaccinated, bud? I had my first shot. Got my first first shot. shot. Uh, Why are you taking so long to get it? Why haven't you got both? (laughs) I'm lazy. Honestly, I I wasn't. uh, So you, You've been try- so. Uh, have you been trying to kill Grandma up until getting that first shot? I mean, has your laziness no, going to you know negatively affect someone else? No, because I stayed clear of any elderly people. It stays in the basement. <laughs> yeah, I am the basement. in my basement right uh, now. Andrew, are you vaccinated? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got uh, Andrew. What do you think about this big overreach? And tell us about how Joe and Donald has helped the the cause for liberty. Uh, well, I, I guess I'd mentioned earlier that for libertarians, Trump and Biden have both been kind of fantastic because they're both so incompetent and that uh, incompetent government is a win for libertarians. So. so what do you think about specifically this policy? And do you think it'll even hold up? Oh, it won't hold up. He knows it won't hold up. He's it's, you know, he, I, he, he did the same thing with moratorium. Yeah, the more he, he, he's, I think it's interesting that he's essentially knows something's unconstitutional and then pushes it anyway, and that's that's disturbing. So, my favorite is we heard him in July, him and Saki, who's just a dumpster fire of a human, say specifically that the government has no say in doing a mandate. They said that. Now, when Joe Biden did his little press conference and, and and divided the country as strongly as it has been in decades, because he did a made it a very us and them. This is the guy who I was sold on MSNBC as the great unifier of the country. Here comes this guy who has no clue where he's at and he's going to unify us now. I think it's very telling that he didn't take one question. No, I'm sure his handlers told him that you are not to take questions because I want the answer to you said in July that the government had no business doing a mandate. And now, however many months later, there is one and that that question will not be answered. So, Brian, do you think that this is uh, do you think this is a good thing? Are you happy about this thing? I'm I'm kind of on the fence about it because it's first of all, the mandate. Can you even call it a mandate when there's an out? That's that's the first question I would have is, is it a mandate if there's an out and there is totally an out? Well, there's a big old fourteen thousand dollar fine. That sounds like a mandate to me. Well, explain the fourteen thousand dollar fine. I mean, well, oh, I do know this. I don't. I don't know the ins and outs of the fine, but it is fourteen thousand dollars per uh, a, a case of someone being employed of of uh, a company over a hundred employees. Now, I ask you this: if this is going to be the thing that saves us all, why is the postal workers exempt? Why is that the one government co- crew that goes to all? 
the houses. They don't care about you. This is a big ass so, virtue signal. This is a way for them to raise money. I have an idea why, on that. Why aren't the post? <laughs> I can tell you why. Because the postal service union said nah, and they're going to always lay down to a union. Well, I, my my thought is that uh, just like a lot of other different entities in the in the country right now, that you can't find employees. I know that it, with. The post office that that's been an issue as well. So if you so start are you putting, arguing against yourself here, I think yeah, maybe I, I am. I, I think <laughs> I think maybe I am because you can't find employees if you start. I know if you, if we did a, a vaccine mandate in Florida, I don't. I guess everybody would just go to the beach and hang out. It's it, it's like here it would be maybe maybe that's the intent. Maybe maybe it's all about beach trips. We probably maybe all do maybe need some more sun. An, another way to shut down without shutting down. That's that's my thing. Uh, you know, we're in a really bad economic problem here. And as a man who is a uh, the smallest business that you can have, because it's just me, Steve Barker Studios, my business has been destroyed. I have I am struggling. I had a robust business. I was making more money than I'd ever made before March 16th. And now you're going to make it harder for people to work. I ask you this. Are welfare recipients uh, part of this policy? Do they have no, to get? Well, they're do, not. They're not. No. So you can just sit home on the dole and be unvaccinated. Wow, you just said that. I think that it. Wow, you just said that and probably put it into the universe. Next mandate is going to be that anybody getting government assistance has to prove that they have a vaccination. That could be the next that's, thing. That's it, not going to happen because those blame are Steve Barker voters. Those are all Democrat blame, voters. No, that's not true. <laughs> that is not true. And I mean, most, dude. Uh, also, oh, I, people I, I on welfare this. are red states. So, and I ask this, and I well, let's, I mean, if you really want to get into it, the corporate welfare system far outweighs any kind of welfare system it, that goes to the and that's a whole and that's a whole other argument. That's a whole other panel. I ask you this: Are the two hundred thousand Afghanistan refugees? refugees that we are bringing into this country are they part of this vaccine mandate because they're coming from a country where the mandate or the vaccine is actually illegal are we going to vaccinate them consistency people i really there. hope if we are vaccinating political them. party i would call it the consistency party so i hope we're postman i hope they are I hope they're vaccinating them all. I hope they're giving them the vaccine for COVID. I hope they're giving them all kinds of other vaccines. I hope they find a religiously forcing them into. I I was hoping that they would find a religiously poisoned vaccine. Inoculating with all thirty, just forcing the forcing them all thirty vaccines that they give military (laughs) members. Inoculate them all, right? You're gonna bring them here. Well, okay. So now, should we be? Should we have U.S. citizens? For one thing, uh, wow. We want to get into illegals and legals. We want to get into rights. Uh, Once again, whole other panel, and we have been talking for a long time about a lot of things, and I've really enjoyed my time here with the panel. But we are done for today. Next week, we will do another panel, and we're actually going to be discussing weight loss not politics so it'll be a little bit different next week but this week we've definitely got our politics in thank you so much to andrew wheeler (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much andrew wheeler for being here chris cook nick ledford stephen barker and we are done for today here on the brian resner experiment and even though we tried our hardest all the world's problems 
seem to evade us and we cannot solve them but we can talk about them and that is the first step thank you for listening today don't forget to follow us on facebook and don't forget to join the focus group of res where you get to talk about all the things that we talk about here and maybe your thoughts can end up here on the brian resner experiment give us a follow on twitter give us a follow on instagram and always come back every week to check out the Brian Reznor experiment available right here on Superior Radio Network. Keep in mind, folks, that positivity is the secret to life. Logic is omnipotent. Truth is infallible. And life is opportunity. We got a huge show coming up next week, too. So I guess I'll see you then right here on the Brian Reznor experiment. The Brian Reznor experiment on Superior Radio Network. I'm looking for the good life and good life. Sitting by the fire uh, A lot that day Good life, good life Feeling that breeze A lot that da-da Good life, good life Taking you higher uh, A lot that day Good life, good life Come with me Got my lady and I got my shine Money in my pocket and we're feeling fine Radio's loud and we're playing sublime I think it's gonna be a good day My oh my I made it this far, it's a miracle Floating in the clouds now, used to be miserable Never looking back since I changed my ways I'm on that good life tip today I'm looking for the good life, good life Sitting on top of the world I wanna be shining like diamonds and pearls I want you to go there with me, girl I'm looking for the good life, good life Baby, we can have it all We can make love by the waterfalls I'm living that good Sitting by the fire uh, A lot that day Good life, good life Feeling that breeze A lot that da-da Good life, good life Taking you higher This has been a product of Superior Radio Network This is not just a podcast House of Cafe With Brian Resner and Stephen New This is a tribe of devoted super fans That have crashed through the barricades torn down barriers, and broken through the fourth wall. This is a creative think tank full of people who have given way too much of their lives to professional wrestling to not be getting a paycheck. This is a secret society of elite fans from all over the globe. And guess what? It isn't a secret anymore. House of Kayfabe, featuring Jim Cornette's lawyer, Stephen P. New, is available now on all major podcast platforms. Just click subscribe to join the Kayfabe stream and get access to unbelievable interviews, in-depth discussions, hilarious segments, and exclusive content. This is the fan-driven podcast you have been looking for. House of Kayfabe, with Brian Resner and Stephen New. At the law office of Stephen New, we take a team approach to your case. Our staff and paralegals are excellent and will assist you through every step of your case. We employ world-class experts to make sure that your case is developed to its maximum value. 
When you seek legal counsel, choose Stephen New and his team. They'll work together to achieve the best results for your case and support you every step of the way. Our clients, why we do what we do the law office of Stephen New. When it comes to your brand, your visual presence is so important. You can't just get anybody to take care of that for you. When you are trying to take your image to the next level, you need to contact Eli Brazil at Eli's Digital Concepts. Eli specializes in improving your look with cutting-edge graphics that set you apart from the rest. He has done work for franchise with Shane Douglas, House of Kayfabe, Dan Healy, RTW, and many more. Eli's Digital Concepts is your one-stop shop for all types of graphic design, such as rebranding, photo manipulation, posters, logos, letterheads, t-shirt designs, mock-ups, and even AutoCAD work. You can catch Eli on Instagram at Eli's Digital Concepts, on Twitter at Eli's Concepts, on Facebook at Eli's Digital Concepts, or you can email him directly, Eli's Digital Concepts at gmail.com. Eli's Digital Concepts, custom artwork you have to see to believe.